This week on Invasion, the podcast, we continue on with our year of animation by looking at 1993's Batman, Mask of the Phantasm. Can an afternoon cartoon series make the leap to the big screen? We bring you this special radio television broadcast in order to give you the very latest information on an amazing phenomenon. The arrival of a spaceship. Just a minute, ladies and gentlemen, I think something is happening. Flying saucers have invaded our planet. People of the of tension. It's the invasion of the podcast. The whole world is under attack. Can it survive? And welcome to Invasion, the podcast where I try to take over the world one listener at a time. My name is Paul, and somewhere off in the distance, shrouded in mists, is the man of mystery. It's Steve. Hello, everyone. I am the Mask of the Phantasm. And he has a hook for a hand, but it's not like a hook. It's like a big cap with like a metal thing jutting off. It's it's a very impractical hook hand. Let's just be honest. I just use it for opening beers. <laughs> like, I like the idea. They're like, it's called the phantasm. It's like, well, what if we made his hand look like one half of the orb from phantasm, but make it really impractical. They're like, I like it. Let's <laughs> just do that. Um, so yeah, we're going to be talking about, uh, 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 1983's Batman mask of the phantasm for our year of animation. This was an animated, uh, Batman film. Um, and we'll get more into that in a second. It's what I had never seen. And it's one that Steve had, had teased last episode as being, the greatest Batman film um, made so far. And we'll see, we'll see if that claim holds up. We'll see about our discussion about it and how that goes. I think I said it was the greatest movie ever made. Oh, okay. Uh, That's true. I mean, even beating out, you know, such perennial favorites as, you know, the, uh, your citizen Canes and your, uh, um, Casablanca, Casablanca, you know, I mean, this is, I mean, I will say that I, I think this is a more important film than the Godfather. In a lot of ways, no. <laughs> um, yeah, well, you know, and uh, and I also think that in a lot of ways too, like um, that there when people people talk about like how superhero films got good, um, you know, I've not heard this in the conversation. Uh, it needs to be there though. Like I'll say that that's me tipping my hand a little bit. But this, like, when we talked about Dark Man, like there's certain DNA that runs through these films that provided really good building blocks later. And I'll be excited to talk about that. So before we get into that though, uh, I had to have some rambling about the weekend. I just want to mention that, um, I, I, you know, I play the video games sometimes and when I'm not playing overwatch or world of Warcraft, because I'm a slave to blizzard and all things they put out. Um, I recently purchased uh, a game called the last of us part two. Um, I may have talked about this briefly before, but Steve, I know you don't do much of gaming, but could, let me just give you the elevator pitch for what this game is, and you could tell me if, at least from a storyline, you'd be interested or not. All right. Okay. Fire away. Uh, it is set in, like, 2004 now, like, so this post-apocalyptic in the sense that uh, there what was, the, what's it called? There's a, a fungal infection that uh, jumped from the animal species into humans, where there's an actual, there's an actual fungus that will take over ants that will get into their brain and cause them to go to the top of like a leaf or whatever. And then like a spiral will grow out of its head and, but it will force the ant to stay perfectly still until a bird eats the ant. And then it passes through the bird and then hits, you know, the ground and the ants eat it and it goes on and on. It's, it's a, it's a fungal inf- infection that actually 
affects brain activity. Well, what you should call nervous system activity of ants. It's a real thing. It's gross. It's disgusting. Naughty Dog, the people that have made these games are like, yeah, but what if humans? That's that's like, what if this fungal thing makes the jump and people that get infected become these big like mushroom monsters that against their will and um, they be eventually become blind and work on echolocation and they're terrifying and disgusting. So the game is most of the world's been infected. Societies we know has collapsed and people are just trying to, to survive in the aftermath of this like fungal apocalypse. Um, you should look up the art of some of the, the different, um, uh, whatever they call them, like the different infected. It's gross and disturbing. And it's always terrifying when they're around because the bulk of them, you can't just beat down and kill like there. You have to be smart about how you deal with them. And so, I, of course, I'm purposely playing this game and purposely trying my best and then dying every three seconds. And the the the, the death scenes are horrific and gross. Um, my character's neck has gotten like bitten and ripped out like more times than I can count. And I've had to watch my shame each time I've messed up. Um, but whenever I finally get through an area, I don't know if I feel a sense of accomplishment. I feel like, holy shit, I'm glad I could save now because I'm done with this section. Perfectly the way they planned it, but still upsetting and nerve wracking. So is is this the Last of Us two that you you said you're playing? Yeah, I, I I played the first one a few years ago, and it's it was one of my it's one of the best games I've ever played in terms of story. It is it's a sledgehammer of a story. Uh, you're dealing like this guy named Joel who uh, has his own like things he's carrying with him, but he ends up finding this girl named Ellie who happens to be immune to things, and it's a, she's not liar. And his goal is to take her cross country to um, supposedly this medical base that's going to use her for a cure, but things aren't on the level. So he sees, um, and it, it's like, it's like basically you take like a, like a zombie movie and like the road and smash it together. And it's like, Oh, brutal survival. People are terrible. And you know, it's not a matter of when you're going to ball your eyes out. It's just, it's when you're going to ball your eyes out. Okay. So yeah, I, I've seen a lot about this and I, uh, on the last episode of uh, Fat Man Beyond, Mark Bernardin was talking about it. He was talking about how in the first one, you know, the girl, in order to get the what they need for a cure out of her, they have to kill her. And your character makes the decision that that's not how this is going to go down. And you basically have to then get your way back out of all of it to try and save her is what I understood. That's the correct. Story to be. And she doesn't know. And the way the game picks up years later is that she doesn't know. That's the decision that Joel made is to kill everybody else to save her. She just knows that she was under like anesthesia and didn't know exactly what happened. So, and then I, I the other things that I saw and I'll, I'll be honest, I didn't click on them, but I did see that there's some sort of debate about the ending of the new game oh, or good. people don't, are angry about it. Don't, that, I, I'm still like a third of the way through. So don't, I honestly yeah. don't know what it is. I've just seen a couple of articles that were, I not even articles. It was people's comments on Facebook. Yeah, whatever. I mean like so. an ending. I, um, great. If there, if it's a divisive ending, then, then I, I either they did their job or they didn't, I guess. And I, and, um, I'll get there when I get there. I, I tend to approach these games where like, um, like any, like any media, right? Like if it's, you know, book movie, whatever that, um, 
if the ending isn't everything that you want it to be, that doesn't necessarily mean that the people making the product didn't do what they intended to do. Right. So like, like not to get into it too much, but there's an, another game series out there called mass effect that there was a trilogy put out by Bioware and EA that I absolutely adore that universe. And I played through all three games and the ending of the third game is kind of a dud that doesn't change my overall love of the world they created and the characters and like, the hundred plus hours I spent playing all three just to be pissed off the last 30 minutes. I think that's different for me in a game versus me in a movie where it's like, you have a very much more um, controlled and like you have like an hour or two, right? Sorry, two hours or whatever to tell this whole thing. So if the ending on that's kind of a dud that I think the percentages kind of work out like more in favor of a video game where if maybe the ending isn't the best, but the whole journey and experience has been great where a movie is a much shorter time frame. So I, I guess in my mind, I weigh it differently. So if people are upset about the ending of The Last of Us Part Two, that's fine. A lot of people were not happy with the ending of the first one, and they still played the second one. Yeah, well, like I said, I don't really know any details. I just saw that uh, over the weekend, uh, there were some people posting about it. And um, I'm like, oh, don't know what that is. So I didn't really <laughs> read it. I just, you know, saw, I just saw the comments and. Uh, to be fair, though, I don't know that there's, and again, I'm not a gamer, so it's not really something that I would know, but is there a game that, like, is just universally beloved as having, like, the best ending ever? <laughs> um, I guess. I mean, probably if people, like, are going to, like, fanboy, like, you know, pick Mario or pick whatever, like, I don't know. Like, Well, I, I yeah. feel like a lot of this is, you know, every game. Like, I feel like every game that comes out, there's something that comes out that people don't like, you know? Yeah, I don't know. Um, like, I, I think I think we're in a culture of picking apart as opposed to and that's a whole other thing. Like, that's that's something we've struggled with. Right. In terms of like everything, like like um, and not to, to steer this towards another thing, but like uh, like I said, you had your nitpicks about the most recent Halloween film. That ending is badass, but like it doesn't there. There might be pick yeah, pickings here and there like people focus more on those details as opposed to the last like five minutes of that movie, which is amazing. Yeah, I love that that ending in the movie. And yeah, there are things that I can nitpick, but you know, it's a forty year old franchise. I guess you could you could apply this to Star Wars. It's a forty year old franchise at this point. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, I mean, you get what you get out of it anymore. So, so. I'll just here's the the story I want to tell real quickly. It's tied into the game. Um, aside from the fact that the first jump scare in this new game, it, I it probably I probably peed all over the my house. Uh, that's probably the first thing that happened. But um, like, and by probably, I mean I did. I, I don't tell my wife, but you know, clearly the the living room soaked in and fear pee from the first jump scare in that game. Uh, there is a bit where I'm in a uh, a subway tunnel, um, and like obviously it's decrepit because you know the world's moved on, and there's these humans that are trying to find my character, and they have a red flare in the distance, very John Carpenter esque, right? Very like red light in the distance, very like you know you, you can hear these guys, and the the thing with the AI in this game is that the humans, if they look directly at you, then they know who, where you're at, and they're going to swarm, and it gets really complicated. The infected, they they generally can't see, so you could be standing right in front of them. You just can't make noise. So in this room, when I was trying to get through it, I didn't realize the scope of how many uh, monsters are called clickers because they click their teeth and try to echolocate. It's creepy as all get out. Um, and then there's the humans. I didn't realize what was going on. I threw a stun, like a stun grenade that made a lot of noise because I knew it would attract the monsters. 
I hit a human like square in the face. They freaked out. All the humans ran over, started screaming and shooting. The monsters reacted. So then what happened then was me just sitting there watching monsters and humans fight it out. I'm just like, what did I just cause to happen? And it was like, and I, it, you could do that. Um, my, what happened was I ended up dying because, because I agitated the monsters and they kind of went like wandering all the corners and they found me and ate my neck. But there was definitely a point where the humans were all hiding and I'd sneak up and kill each of them because they didn't want to deal with the monsters. And I was like, this would be awesome if I got out of this. I just like that the game gave me the option of causing pure chaos. I just couldn't handle it. That is pretty funny. Um, now, is that like, when you say that you hit another person in the face, was that another player in the game? Is this like a game where it's multiple players playing across the web? Or No, they- it's it's single player only. Um, so it is a single player experience, meaning like there's humans from another, there's another faction that that want you dead, you know? So they're hunting you specifically because well, you're on the loose because you broke out of their little compound. So they're sweeping so is, the area. Oh, yeah. So my next question is, is that a repeatable event? So if you're going through that level again, is it just automatically like, oh, when I throw it, it's going to hit them in the face no matter no. what? Or is that something that you actually, okay. So what I did to, to get through it, because there's a lot of times because resources are limited because it's like the world's kind of falling apart. So you have to scavenge. So bullets are a premium, like other supplies are a premium. I decided to sneak through off to the one side onto the right and then go up the edges and keep out of view of the bulk of the humans. And then I, I killed one and then that caused all hell break loose. But then I threw, I think I threw a stun stun bomb to call attention. And I just ran through the subway cars to get to the end just enough to get through and close the door as everything was crashing down on me. So I played it stealthily for like 75% of the moment and then ran like hell. And that got me through. So that's not, maybe that isn't the 100% way of getting through it, but the game lets you figure like it. Survival is the same thing as winning in this world. So I don't feel like I cheesed it. I don't feel like I cheated it. I felt like I, you know, was opportunistic to get through it. Whereas the first time I screwed up and threw a stun bomb at somebody's head and just kind of watched everything unfold and realized, dear Lord, what it was like, it was like uh, for, uh, Frank Drebin standing in front of the fireworks factory and police uh, and police squad or naked gun, nothing to see here, move along. And the whole, everything's just blowing up in the background and there's violence. That's how that first moment felt. I wish I could have survived it. Cause that would have been amazing, but it didn't work out that well. So I tried again. Okay. It was fun. It's that's why I like this type of game because it gives you the opportunity, but it's also still tense and terrifying and it doesn't make you like you, you feel, you feel capable. You don't always feel formidable. And I think that's very important to these survival games where it's like, sometimes you can come out swinging and things are okay. Other times it does not matter what you have. You have to think your way through it and be smart and fast because you're going to die if you get near any of this stuff. So hmm. I'm digging it. That's cool. Yeah. And so anyway, that's, I just wanted to mention that I was playing a game that, uh, that was not overwatch. So people should be, be happy that I'm playing other games, you know, like, like, I don't know. I, it'd be like, Hey Paul, what movies do you watch? I don't know. Um, just Wayne's world. That's it. Yeah. How many times? <laughs> what'd, what'd you do this weekend? I'm just watching Wayne's world. Maybe next week I'll watch Wayne's world again. <laughs> Not even two. You just—it's always just Wayne's World. It's just Wayne's World. Yeah, it's like I know I'm comfortable <laughs> with this. This is what I'm going to do. So yeah, that was my my weekend was uh, uh, you know, running from a fungus and being terrified of it. So, nice. Yeah, 
Um, yeah, that's all. That's that's all I got. So, uh, and I know you and I talked before we start recording that you sank into the world of wrestling. So good on you to watch some wrestling. Um, that's always fun. So I'm glad that you got back into that a little bit. Yep, I went back to the year 1991 to watch the Survivor Series Undertaker versus Hulk match. So because. Nice. Apparently, there isn't enough wrestling now that I'm like, I wonder what happened 30 years ago. <laughs> I so. mean, at least you could watch wrestling with the crowd that's actually involved right now. <laughs> right now, it's getting weird. Like, I've seen bits and pieces where, like, WWE and uh, EW, they've been doing uh, these taped matches, of course. Um, and, uh, or, well, I guess the last pay per view AEW had was live, but clearly it's in a, like, uh, a bubble area where it's just staff and then some other wrestlers cheering people on, which is still fun. But, you know, when you have a big moment, it doesn't necessarily pop the same way because you don't have half the world erupting, you know? So I can see why you maybe want to go back to the before four times and watch some wrestling back then. Yeah, I mean, that was that was probably the point where I was at my, like, high point of watching wrestling. So I wanted to kind of go back and, and watch uh, something from an era when I was deeply in love with uh, wrestling and... Uh, you know, I, I think uh, I mentioned this to you uh, before we started, you know, I just listening to Gorilla Monsoon and, and Bobby the Brain Heenan, Heenan uh, you know, ham it up as the announcers throughout the entire thing was just it was a, it was a nice, uh, fun diversion. We'll put it that way. Yeah. And I, someone posted actually today about uh, Bobby the Brain Heenan, like on my Facebook about how they didn't realize at the time um, how good he was at making you hate him. Um, like, cause his kids watching that it's, you, you hated Bobby the brain. Cause he was just a pompous jerk and was always like shit talking the good guys. And it's like, I hate Bobby the brain, but it's like that to know that he leaned into it and he was just so good at it. Oh yeah. I mean, he, he like, he would like say something like, this is so stupid, but you know, uh, let's say during a tag team match, you know, while the ref is distracted, another member would run over and hit somebody in the back with a chair and then run off, you know, out of the ring. So the ref didn't see it, you know, and, and, uh, you know, Gorilla Monsoon would be going on about, Oh, I can't believe that happened. It's so crazy. And Bobby brains like, I didn't see anything. What are you talking about? Nothing happened. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's so dumb, but like, it, like it, it was just so. I don't know. It, it was such a great diversion. It was a great way to like turn my brain off on Saturday night and just enjoy. And then, you know, uh, I'm trying to think it was a four man tag tag team match of four guys on each side. And it was like, Oh man, I feel like it was, uh, crap. I'm going to get it wrong. So I won't say, but it, it involved Roddy Piper and I'd forgotten how much fun it was to watch Roddy Piper wrestle as well. So, yeah. I, so yeah, that, that, that sounds like a lot of fun and teasing a little bit about what we may be talking about in the, in the coming weeks. So stay tuned. Like as in you're going to change your podcast radio dial, you know, like, uh, Oh, I should also mention just cause this is kind of funny before we get to the, the talk about Batman, uh, which, you know, that should be a phrase that we use all the time here on the show. Um, is, uh, I got an email from our um, our, our podcast hoster, uh, Podbean, saying, congratulations on 10,000 downloads. I'm like, what? And then I did the math. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Like, <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah. We're literally one listener at a time. <laughs> yeah. We're hitting them one in a year. But uh... I was just like, oh. 
that's milestone. Oh no. Okay. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's still cool to hit that, that number. So we appreciate people listening. So thank you. Um, it's just that when you break it down, it's like, that's, oh, that's, that's a, oh. <laughs> not as impressive of a number. No, yeah. no. I mean, you know, uh, like, the thing, the thing about podcasting that people don't realize is that you can just keep going regardless of people want to hear you or not. So that's, that's the secret. There is no, there's no Nielsen ratings out there for, for me. You know, I think I probably would have been canceled a couple of years ago at this point, but I keep paying my $15 a month. So you guys could keep listening to me or not. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Anyway, I just thought, I thought that was funny. to mention. So and, uh, it, yeah, it's sad, but true. <laughs> I mean, it'd be like, Steve, you got an email. It's like, congratulations on 10,000 issues of Slasher Sold. You're like, cool. I put out, I put out an issue. That's significant. It's like, you've put out all like over 200. I'll be like, oh, <laughs> oh, thanks. You know, anyway, so enough about that. Uh, all right. So this is going to be our episode that gets us to 20,000 downloads. I hope you guys appreciate this. Uh, I just I tell, tell a friend, tell 10,000 friends, download this one episode. And I promise this will actually be the correct episode when you click on the link to download it, to listen to it. I know you're already 20 minutes in. And last week I decided to make you listen to Moon Knight twice. Um, but whatever, we fixed it and Steve pointed out. So that maybe that's where I got the extra downloads from is that people are like, crap, I got to download the correct episode. Maybe that's what put us over the line. So you're welcome, Steve. Um, I don't know. I got nothing. Uh, so yeah. Uh, anything else where we talk about, uh, some more Batmans? Uh, I don't think so. Cool. All right. So, uh, like this is our year of animation. We're getting into 1983's Batman mask of the phantasm. Uh, before we talk about that and proper, we're going to listen to, uh, this trailer, just a heads up. Neither Steve nor I are chewing carrots at the beginning. This Christmas, for the first time, America's most exciting and legendary motion picture hero comes to the screen like you've never seen him before. The Bat! In an all-new, larger-than-life feature film. Now, the Dark Knight confronts his newest and most menacing villain. Your angel of death awaits. The Phantasm. I want you. And faces his greatest danger. Can't be too careful with all those weirdos around. A soaring new adventure. Batman. Mask of the Phantasm. The animated movie. Coming for a Christmas you'll never forget. All right, so uh, Mask of the Phantasm. Uh, a little, little bit of knowledge. I, I, I probably said this uh, last week on the episode. Uh, I had never seen this before, um, and it's been one we've been circling for a bit because one, it's Batman, and two, it's animation, and and three, it's Batman. Um, so um, uh, I guess before we get into some of the the details behind it. Um, I know Steve and I started talking about this before we started recording, but like our relationship with the animated series, um, before the, like before this film. So Steve, what was your relationship with the animated series, uh, coming into this, which I know it came out the time during the series. So I watched, uh, animate Batman, the animated series from the get go. Um, and what's interesting is, is that they, 
uh, would also occasionally show episodes in primetime. Uh, that's how big Batman was at that time. If it, it, it's, it's kind of crazy to think about that. Like if, and I, I guess the, the, you know, the way people take in their media is, is much different now. But if you can think back to the days of, you know, having four channels or four major broadcast channels and, uh, one of them using time slots, uh, on their, you know, prime time, you know, Sunday night, or I think it was maybe a Saturday night or when I don't remember specifically what nights it was, but there was a while there where they would actually put episodes on, uh, to premiere, uh, during prime time, which is interesting. So, um, it ran, uh, I want to say, uh, started in 92. Uh, hopefully people aren't correcting me right now, but I, it, I believe it's 92 when the series begins. Um, the, yeah, cause it's at right after Batman returns. So, uh, series begins, it's, you know, five days a week. Um, and it's Batman, like. Batman animated a way that people had never seen before. Um, so I was in right there at the beginning uh, and instantly fell in love. Okay, Did so, I lose you? No, no, no. I was um, okay. trying not to, to, to belch actively on the microphone uh, from uh, you know drinking some, some White Claws. So that was a dramatic pause. You're welcome, everybody. That's why we're now at 10,000 downloads. So, all right. Well, yeah, well, no, oh. the reason we're at 10,000 downloads is is that i will get stuck on like and this happens in my everyday life as well i get stuck on some minute detail and i dance around it for like i don't know a couple minutes and then i realize it's not an important detail at all you know like, I was, like was it a saturday night was it a sunday night when they would show the yeah, episode do whatever. like it doesn't matter i like, just who- can i just point out now as i was about to, to hide a, hide a belch from drinking a white claw that i just see on the um supporting characters kate mulgrew captain janeway played a character called red claw that's pretty great i didn't know that um so this actually technically this only ran like there was only two seasons uh one the first season had 65 episodes which is weird because uh, you know, they're like, well, it ran, it ran daily. So I could see why it did a lot. And then the second season technically only had 20. So you had 85 total, at least in the initial like outings. Um, so yeah, you, I, now that you mentioned that it used, it did sometimes premiere, like, or they did some of the nighttime shows that that's true. I now remember that now that you said that I thought it was cool at the time. I, I was a sophomore in high school at the time when this came out. So I'd get home from school and this was like the the thing that I would want to catch, and um, I wasn't even a big a big Batman fan, um, and I'm still not because Steve just won't shut up about it. That's no, I'm joking. Um, I ruin everything. It's true. It's just like I, you know, before I started this podcast, I used to love Star Wars unabashedly and and Batman. No. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he was a huge Metallica fan. God, yeah, and... yeah, I loved all the Metallica songs. You know, uh, <laughs> you know, whatever. Um, so, uh, yeah, no. Um, so with this, like, I made it a point because I remember, it, like, it, it came on at like three thirty, four o'clock, or whatever, on like the where I where I grew up. We got a lot of Pittsburgh stations. I almost said Pittsburgh. I don't know. I've never called it that. There's a lot of Pittsburgh affiliates. There was one, um, uh, Fox fifty three that uh had had that so i'd watch that in the afternoons and there was something about the 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 intro music the animation style and also that these shows were fun but they weren't written down to you 
that felt like there was something um, that appealed me more to me in high school where I felt like as much as I love cartoons, then I, I don't know about you, but like there was a transition that I definitely had where I felt like people were kind of looking at me sideways for the things I liked and that maybe some of the things I liked were a little too like, you know, childish. And you have that transition of being like a kid and, you know, going to high school and growing up. This felt like this was that good, um, that good segue where you could still have smart storytelling. Um, and that, this didn't feel embarrassing to sit down and watch. Uh, then the same way I'd also throw out cause Fox also had um, the X-Men uh, and Spider-Man that I, I love that Spider-Man show that was at that time. And this came out after this, no, or around the same time, I think. Uh, but so, yeah, I, I like this a great deal because um, it did run five days a week. I'd like to say that I've seen a, a lot of them, if you sat down with me with a cat, with like an episode list, I'd probably, you know, who knows, but I watched it regularly and I liked the animated series a great deal. Um, and so uh, why I hadn't seen this film blows my mind. It doesn't make any sense to me why I didn't get to it till now. Uh, but I, I'm a huge fan of the, of the animated series. Uh, and I believe I've seen the bulk of it, but again, I couldn't tell you. I know, I know I have access to the animated series completely, because of people I know named Steve. Um, so uh, maybe that's something I need to get off my bucket list. Part of me uh, wants to say that the blame is not on you at all for not having seen it, at least when it came out in theaters. Um, for those of you who didn't know this about the movie, it came out December 24th, 1993, to literally almost no advertising. No one seemed to know about the movie. I saw it in the theater. It was my first year of college. I came home for that first year, uh, that first year of Christmas, that first Christmas after my first semester, the first year of uh, Christmas of uh, college, and I, uh, I was like, "Oh, Batman's playing in theater! I've got to go see it." And it was like me, a friend of mine, and like three other people. There was no one there when I saw it in the theater. Um, it was fairly like. I don't want to say it was hidden, but they, they certainly didn't do much to advertise it. We'll put it that way. Um, I knew it was coming out, uh, but I was also, you know, in the circles that I ran. It wasn't it wouldn't have been a secret for me and my friends to know that there's a Batman movie coming out. The rest of the population didn't get the word. Uh, with that in mind, though, going back to the animated series and don't worry about like you know, titles or episode or names of episodes. Uh, but I just wanted to ask, do you have an episode that you remember be, like as being your favorite? I'm kind of putting you on the spot, but is there one that you like more than others so that you can kind of pinpoint and go, Oh, I really loved this one. The or, one, the like, one that if it's just a, yeah. The one that really, that sticks with me because it's terrifying because it got a lot right was the one where, um, there was the Mad Hatter, or the scarecrow, I think they worked together to put Batman under um, like some type of like sleep to give him the life of Bruce Wayne separate from Batman. And so he would be constantly seeing like Batman in the distance doing things. And he, you know, he always had this like suspicion that something was up. And it turns out he was in a dream state the entire time. The reason that bugs me, and I remember, is because they did the thing of anytime Bruce tried to read any documentation about the bat, it would just be gibberish. And he couldn't understand any written text because he was in a dream. And I've never forgotten that. 
And it bugged me because eventually he faced off against Batman and, you know, he realized what was going on. And when he finally woke up, um, the villains were like, we, we thought we gave you the thing that you wanted most. Like, I think the episode's called what dreams are made of or something to that effect. And the fact that even when he gets the thing that he wants is to be happy and have a family and be married. And I think, I think his parents were alive in the dream too. Uh, he can't still like get away from the responsibility of being Batman. Um, heavy stuff watching as like, you know, a teenager, but I've never forgotten that episode. I think the episode that you're thinking of is, um, completely wrong in every way. Villains. <laughs> no, no. The villain, if I remember correctly, is Hugo strange. Oh. Uh, he, no, you know what? I thought it was I the Mad Hatter. Confusing episodes. Yeah, I thought it was the Mad um, Hatter and uh, Scarecrow, but you know, it might be. If, I, I think I may be confusing episodes. There's an episode where Hugo Strange uh, learns Batman's secrets and uh, tries to sell them to the other criminals. And I'm realizing now that yeah, I'm I'm the one who's wrong. So I do apologize. Uh, but yeah, I'm just I'm going through the episodes to try and remember the name of the. Uh, the episode that you're describing, because I think you are right. I do believe it is Mad Hatter. He, uh, um, and why he wasn't oh, voiced man. by Tom Petty, I'll never know. But um, <laughs> I, so- I, I just, I'm, I'm so disappointed in myself right now because <laughs> I was so sure of the episode. Well, and then, and then like, there's the one too. Like as you're looking for that, the other one I liked a lot too, just because it showed that Batman could be dealt with um, by with analytical, analytical thinking, and it was the first episode with the Clock King where he was this guy who just had everything memorized and new efficiency. And because of this, he was able, he was an older guy and he was able to take on Batman because he timed his fighting style. And there's a bit where, um, he, he, Batman chases at the top of a building and he was like, and he's like, Batman, you don't know the one thing I know. And he's like, what's that? He's like the seven fifteen trains always three minutes late. And he just drops off the back of the building and lands on the train and waves at Batman as the train goes by. That was some cool stuff. And I, I didn't know much about the clock King. I know they brought him back later, but I thought it was like, here's this old guy that um, is just an efficiency expert that can take on Batman. Yeah, there's there's a couple of episodes of Clock King that are really cool. There's one where he gets a device which allows him to sort of speed up uh, time around him, and, uh, and he's able to like move faster than everyone else. Uh, that's a pretty cool episode. Um, Is that the one uh, I'm, where I'm stuck on this now? Where, where Batman I, takes that bomb and he's able to slow it down enough to where it's actively exploding in his hands, and he runs it to the bay and throws it in the water. I think that's that one, right? Yeah. Okay. So yeah. Anyway, I just there's been ones that've been stuck in my head, and I and of course anything with the Joker's been great. Spoiler. Um. That no, like I didn't realize that I would have um the Joker ruined for me um by almost like in a lot of ways going forward. Um. But yeah, there's a lot of fun there too. But yeah, I, I do remember specific episodes. I just don't always remember titles. Yeah, I'm just so disappointed in myself at this point. Like, uh, I, I almost like want to just stop the podcast and start over. You need a better co-host. I'm, <laughs> I, I'm so disappointed that I, I mixed that up. And I feel like the episode's called "Perchance to Dream." Now that you say, said that, oh and, well, that makes sense. That's a uh, that's a nice callback to uh, uh, Shakespeare and um, <clears throat> uh, the Twilight Zone. So, um, yeah. Anyway, but so what? What episodes like? Um, do you recall are though like the big ones for you? And then I think that'd be a good lead into talking about the film. So, I mean, heart of ice, 
uh, is amazing. Heart of Ice is the um, introduction to. Well, I shouldn't say he's the. It's the introduction to Mister Freeze, but it's it's a Mister Freeze that we've never seen before. Um, it gives him a backstory. It gives him a terrible, tragic story. Um, that's a big one. Uh, the, the premiere episode on Leather Wings, which is a man bad episode, yeah, is I've phenomenal. Seen that one, yeah. um, um, some of my other personal favorites, uh, Almost Got Him, which is such a fun episode. It's it's all the villains sitting around telling stories about how they almost got Batman. <laughs> um, and uh, one of them is actually Batman in disguise. Uh, but uh, you don't know which one it is until the end of the episode. But uh, it's a ridiculously fun episode. Um, there's a two-part episode called, uh, uh, I think it's Heart of Steel, uh, where there's a... Um, robot version of Batman that's been manufactured. And, uh, basically, uh, there's this machine called Hardak that's been built that basically, uh, comes up with, uh, his, uh, own sort of, uh, sentience in this, in a Skynet type of way, except he's not building Terminators. He's building a, uh, you know, um, uh, imposter people. And okay. one of those things that he creates is a Batman. And, uh, uh, that one's a really good two-parter. Um, Robin's Reckoning is really good. That's the introduction of Robin and, and gives us uh, a very chilling version of uh, Robin's origin with his parents dying. Um, so, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of, of great episodes uh, of the animated series. And uh, I... Uh, I just did find it is perchance to dream is the one that you're thinking of. Oh, and I almost forgot. Sorry. Beware the, the gray ghost. Uh, one of my favorite episodes. It's about a, uh, a character, uh, or a TV show that Batman watched when he was a kid starring this actor who's played by Adam West. And the character was named the gray ghost. Nice. And in modern day, somebody's using gray ghost plots to do to basically um commit crimes and batman brings in the actor who played the gray ghost to help him and uh it's it's very much a commentary on adam West's career at that time because it, it also deals with how that guy was typecast as only being the gray ghost and how he just wanted to walk away from it all hmm. it's a really really great episode um I can't believe I almost forgot that, but, uh, so, uh, yeah, you, you were correct. It was, uh, it was the, uh, the scarecrow, uh, I'm sorry, the mad hatter. Okay. Sorry. So, um, you know, chance to dream. So. so with, um, with that being said, uh, the, the things I want to focus on before we actually talk about the movie and, and proper is that, and this is the year of animation in the sense that like, there is a distinct visual look to this and also, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. And I probably am. I know most um, most things that are animated were like drawn and like you know like white backgrounds and then painted or whatever. I is it weren't at least the initial episodes like animated on black paper to give it more of that darkened look, like a noir look to it. Yeah. So uh, the two guys who are behind most of the look of Batman the animated series is Bruce Tim, um, who who gets I think a lot of the credit. Um, but then there's Eric Radomski, who was the guy who did all the backgrounds, uh, and his, 
his method for Batman uh, was he would paint on a black background. Okay, that's what I meant to say. Yeah, not black paper, but he's also the director of the film. Too, well, yeah, so it's black what, yeah, paper. Yeah. You're, you're correct, yeah. Okay. So, so I, what do you, like, it's so unique and amazing. And so, in terms of um, presenting Gotham, um, I understand that this show was trying to present its own vision of Batman and Gotham that was kind of playing off of Burton's vision from the 89 Batman where there is, there is a um, like it's not fixed. It's not a fixed point in time. Like it, it doesn't feel like, I mean, it's, it, you get the vibe that's set in the forties, but then it's not because the technology is also a little like all over the place. There's like police Zeppelins. There's like, so it, it tries to like, it tries to exist in this era of like, like what if noir forties, but that extended forward, like if that never went away and that's the world we're living in now, like I, you don't really ever get a year for the series. And I, and I think that provides it also kind of an ageless quality that I like. Um, and it also incorporates the verticality of like how Gotham feels like this looming city with big buildings and dark, dark corners. Um, I don't know how much of that was intentionally to go along with Burton's vision. I think it's adjacent, but I also think it carves out its own niche. So the series itself was saddled with two things that they had to incorporate into the show um, that were based in the Burton verse. They had to use the version of the Penguin from Batman Returns and the Catwoman. So while they're not strictly the same characters, um, you can see that like the Penguin design in these episodes is completely based on the Tim Burton, Danny DeVito look. And actually when Batman would get a fourth uh, season uh, that was its own, I think it was 20 episodes that would debut when Fox no longer has Batman, the animated series, the WB at the time was doing a Superman show with the same people who did Batman. They were like, Hey, we want to do, an hour of Superman and an hour of, or an hour of, you know, Superman and Batman. So half hour episode of Superman, half hour episode of Batman. Can we get another season? So they went and they did another season. They redesigned the penguin for that season to look more like your typical uh, penguin in the sense that like, he no longer has the thin hands. He doesn't have the, the long hair and he doesn't have quite the body style and coat that Danny DeVito has in Batman returns. So, Outside of that, they sort of had their way of making it fit in a style that wouldn't be off-putting to people who were into the the Burton films, but also was distinctly their own Batman, if that makes sense. It, it does make sense. And so... Um because like I don't like that like the, you see the rhymes where it's like it's set in the forties. It's like when watching Mask of the Phantasm, there's literally a point where Batman's in the Batcave like typing shit in a computer and like pulling up data. It's like that's not the forties. That's not like as much as we talk about like the world's greatest detective and all this stuff. I don't know if he had that kind of tech then. I don't think anybody visualized it like that. I could be wrong. You could correct me. I feel like it was always trying to walk a line between like we want that it's not art deco, but we want that look and we want the cars to look cool. We want people to have that kind of like, like jewelry and attire, but it's still kind of like the, it's, it's, it's still a time beyond that. 
Um, and I, and I'm cool with that kind of bubble. Like the, bring me all of that all the time. I think it's great. I mean, especially, and we'll get more into this in a second. Whenever the, one of the big set pieces of the phantasm is set in the world's fair. Like, I think there's a lot of speaking to the world that could be versus the world that is. So I, I, the people that made this, this show know what they were doing. I just don't like the idea that it's a fixed set date. Cause I don't think, I don't think that you have to have that. I think it's okay to, to borrow from different eras of Batman and make it its own thing. And I think the animated series took a lot from a lot of different influences and made its own thing to where it's now it's its own definitive recognizable style. And I, you mentioned the Superman show it from, I, I saw a lot less of that, but the, 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 the character designs, um, are very similar to what was established in the animated series of Batman. Yeah, uh, they they basically tried to make Clark's world much more brighter, which obviously it's Superman, it's Metropolis, it's going to be, but it, it kept within the same design uh, feel. Um, there was some streamlining that happened with some of the designs in Superman, but that's also then reflected in that fourth season of Batman, the animated series, because everybody gets a redesign. Batman streamlined. There's a new Robin. Uh, the original Robin becomes Nightwing. Uh, all of the villains are redesigned. <clears throat> Excuse me. So it all sort of fits together, and it's it's almost like oh, it's just a progression of how the show looks. But um, one of the things that I wanted to mention uh, while you're talking uh, about the the 1940s aspect of it is is that. Uh, you can go online and find this, but there was a, a series Bible that was written when this, the show was being pitched. Um, and I actually, it might've been actually after it was, after it was pitched, uh, it was probably when it had been green lighted. Basically it was to get everybody on sort of the same page. Cause you have, you know, different animators, different designers, different writers. So this was like a guide so that every kind of knew what the show was supposed to be. And this is from the introduction I'm going to apologize. I'm just going to read this to you real quick because it, it, it certainly uh, how, speaks to what you're talking about. How dare you educate me in the audience? How dare you? Go ahead. <laughs> I, to be fair, I've never said anything educational. Um, <laughs> so, uh, That's not true. You've done the science of Kmart sandwiches. So give yourself credit, sir. <laughs> His greatest contribution to man. He figured out the secret of the Kmart subway sub. Yeah. So, uh, no, uh, this is a uh, general series concepts. The adventures of Batman will incorporate many different elements of the Batman mythology. Our half long, our half hour series will have a darker, uh, look and tone to it, keeping in line with the movie version and recent comic book interpretations. With a nod to the crime films and novels of the 1940s, we will combine both old and new in this dark deco visual design and create a fresh take on Batman. And I think that that paragraph right there gives you everything that you need to know about the look of the animated series. Yeah, and I think it's it's a good a good call. So, um, yeah, so like it had its unique look, um, and with the the different backgrounds and everything, like. Uh, just even like the title sequence of the cartoon, which is not what we get in the film, just how like you could tell that Brad Bird was a huge fan of the Batman animated series when he made the Incredibles. Like there's something about that style 
and uh, framing and just the, the the different shapes of the characters and way the way you know Batman has the square shoulders and the, the square chin. Uh, but there's a bit in the intro of the cartoon where the lightning flashes and you see the silhouette. It's like it's so cool. And um, yeah, I don't know. Like I'm I'm a fan of the series. I'm a fan of the animated series. And you can tell that um, Warner Brothers was too. So whenever this was supposed to be their first direct-to-video film, they saw what was going on and said, "Hey guys." We're already doing this thing. Um, what if you made this like, you know, feature length and put it in theaters? And also, we're not giving you any additional time to make the changes. So good luck. But it's going to go in the movie theaters. I think that was a vote of confidence. But also, like, I'm sure all people involved were like, this is amazing. And then they immediately started bawling their eyes out out of stress. That's what I feel like. Yeah, it threw everybody working on the movie into like a very like stressful environment because it changed the game, uh, it, particularly when it comes to aspect ratio. Mm-hmm. It was it was started being produced for uh, a television screen. Yeah, what four by and three? Suddenly, yeah, and then suddenly, yeah, yeah, it had to be widescreen. Uh, so the production from start to finish, I see like the trivia here. I don't know how true this is. Eight months yeah. to completely create something out of whole cloth that granted they already had a process in place. They already had the right people. So this isn't like they all just kind of came together. Let's like, let's make a Batman movie. It's like, they've already had made, they've already worked on the series. So they already had, um, the bulk of the character designs done. So it wasn't like they had to come up with this from scratch, but that's still a really tight time frame from start to finish to make a feature length film that has, higher stakes and higher production value than what they're producing for a daily animated show. Yeah. Uh, they, they were put under the gun and they had a, a, a lot of work to get done in a very short period of time. Um, and the fact that, uh, you know, the movie starts off with this, uh, bold animated sequence of going through Gotham city, uh, that was a digital background that was designed to be used in the series to help like reduce the stress of doing backgrounds. It was supposed to be this computer animated digital city that they could use. And then they didn't, it just, (laughs) it was too much work is what I understand. And, but it, it makes for an amazing opening to the film. It makes Um, for amazing opening to the film. I'm glad that it actually wasn't incorporated into the animated series. I think that would have aged terribly. It's like, you know, I know people are going to sigh when I say this. I believe the bat boat from the uh, 60s Batman series, it's used in the film. And I think they only ever use it one other time in the series. Uh, <laughs> like they went to this expense of having the bat boat built. And then I, I think they never used it. So, Oh, that makes me think of the Simpsons when they're watching uh, night boat. And it's just like, uh, instead of Knight Rider, it's like, how many times can Night Boat end up on land or near, what was it, like near a peninsula or a gulf or a jetty or whatever? It was like they kept coming up with like, or Isthmus, how many times can Night Boat show up? Like, you know, like, <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, no, it was, it was a cool opening. The music's great. So let's get into, uh, let's, let's just do some cast here and then we'll get more into the movie itself. So. Uh, you had mentioned the gentleman, um, the guy who was the main animator uh, that did the backgrounds. I only wrote his last name down. Why did I do that? It, Eric Radomski. Radomski. He directed this. There was um, other people involved doing different sequences because clearly eight months, so you had to have other people involved. One of them was Bruce Tem. I thought that was worthy of note. There might be other people there. If there's other people of importance, I mean, all of them are important. 
uh, not all of them resonated with me. So if there's other people to name, please tell me. I'll shut up, but you can tell me why they're amazing in their own rights, aside from the fact that they put together this movie, which is also, you know, a pretty amazing feat. Uh, I, I have to admit, I'm not looking at the credits at the moment. Um, so okay. I, you kind of put me under the, the gun there. No, it's, so, uh, but those are the two names that I, I mean, the other names that I associate, unfortunately, with Batman, the animated series, and it's 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 not any disrespect to the people who worked on it. But like there's the other people I think of are Alan Burnett and Paul Dini, who are writers. So I think of those four names when I think of the animated series. But I, I there, there's people like, say, James Tucker who I don't think came on board until like Superman, but he's an amazing guy. He's also the person who was behind Batman brave and the bold, which was a three season series where it was more of a fun take on Batman, where he teamed up with different heroes every episode. Um, James Tucker's an amazing guy, but I don't think he was involved in this. Um, and I'm blanking on names because I don't have them in front of me. And I That's apologize okay. so, for that. No, no, um, Our so... faithful listeners, this is why, we only have 10,000 listeners. Steve <laughs> 10, have we'll, together. No, no, no. If we had 10,000 listeners, that'd be amazing. Sorry. <laughs> so the 10,000 downloads is actually Steve just listening over and over again and being like, why do I sound like this? That's what, um, that's what it is. <laughs> I don't know um, that I'm all of them, but I'm probably part of it. <laughs> so, in ter- so in terms of writers, I'd written that the, the story was by Alan Burnett and then screenplay work also included Paul Dini. So there you go. Uh, and some other people were involved as well. Again, I apologize, but those are the ones that stand out to me. Uh, in terms of cast, um, I don't have a ton here because there's a lot that gets into like additional voices. Um, but Kevin Conroy is Batman. Uh, he is, he's still my favorite Batman. Like he's, he's my favorite Batman and my favorite Bruce Wayne. And he is the epitome of Batman. Like I, I just, he, he gets it and I dig it. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm constantly in a battle in my head of you know uh, Keaton or uh, uh, Kevin Conroy. It's probably Kevin Conroy because his. I, I honestly, when I read a Batman comic, it's his voice I hear. Like it's well, and also his his absolute production. Like in terms of like he did this, and then like I was looking at his um, his history. Like he had done some like soap operas and some things. Like not a lot of things, but then he got on with Batman and then like he has been Batman and in regards to the animated series and the multiple other series that went on, um, he's voiced Batman in the Arkham games, um, which is a little different take on Batman and, and, and Bruce Wayne there, um, where it's a little bit more subdued and a little bit more gruff and serious. Uh, he's voiced Batman in the injustice series. He, um, yeah, like he has found a way to approach this character from multiple angles and nothing to take away from Keaton. He's he's probably my favorite um, cinematic representation of Batman. But Kevin Conroy has occupied the role of Batman longer than anybody else and ha- has taken it in many different directions. So he's still going to be the Batman for me. And I'll be honest, and this is in no way disrespect to other actors doing voiceover work for Batman. But anytime I see an animated DC project and I see that it's not voiced by Kevin Conroy, I'm like, why? Why, why would why would you not use him for everything? I he's Batman. That's that's what you do. So um, <laughs> that, that that is all now. You're done now. <laughs> but that's that you know that's me. Um, and I don't know that it's ever going to reach a higher point than Batman the animated series for me. So. 
Um, maybe it's just the old man in me that needs to relax a little bit, but that's what I immediately always think of whenever I see someone else's voice in Batman. I'm just like, why, why would you do that? Well, then who's your, who's your uh, favorite Superman voice then? How about that? You know, it's interesting because Tim Daly did the series and then, oh boy, the gentleman's name who did Justice League because Tim Daly wasn't available. His name is blanking on me. He's uh, the son in like uh, Father of the Bride. I'm sorry, not the son, but he's the guy marrying the, the daughter in Father of the Bride. And I, I Well, I know like Jerry O'Connell has voiced uh, Superman sometimes, but Nolan North has done a lot. Uh, he's a big, big time video game actor as well. I'm going to, this is going to bother me. So I have to look it up, but, uh, George Newburn, George, George Newburn. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Uh, I was going to say that he's also on scandal, but I only know that because my wife watched scandal <laughs> and I don't know how big of a role he had on scandal. I'm like, he was either in it a lot or he was just only whenever I would walk into the room. So <laughs> that's funny. But um, him and Tim Daly have very similar, voices um at least qualities in the way that they did their superman um but those are probably the two voices that i associate with a animated superman if you're if you're going live action it's going to be chris reeve all day but of course uh you know i hmm. uh, it's yeah, funny because i feel like superman's pick. been has been done by more people in terms of like animated stuff like uh like i we just talked about hush a while ago he and jerry o'connell voiced him there um jerry sorry jerry jason isaacs just voiced superman in red sun that would be interesting because jason isaacs is a he plays a lot of um sketchy characters with stuff to hide which would make sense for that that type of uh movie um yeah i don't know, you know yeah it's interesting i think he's only done it once but uh kyle mclaughlin i believe is the voice of superman in uh new frontier and it's very much a 50s style superman and i think that uh that really worked as well. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anybody else, but those are those are the ones that pop out when I think about gotcha. the series. I, well, I also find funny here that um, Troy Baker also voiced Superman. So Nolan North and Troy Baker, which are huge video game actors, have both voiced Superman. That makes sense to me. But anyway, um, so um, but Batman, aside from Will Arnett, this is my favorite Batman. <laughs> Vo- <laughs> uh, favorite voice for Batman. Um, <laughs> Just, you can't, like I, Michael Keaton's my favorite physical performer of Batman. Will Arnett is like, I love his voice as Batman. It's more ridiculous. I get it. That's fine. But anyway, so we got Kevin Conroy who, um, uh, you weren't with me when I got a chance to meet him at wizard world. I I'm sure you've met Kevin Conroy separately, correct? I've not. And oh, I, oh, I, I shook the hand. I shook the hand of Batman. Have. Be jealous, Steve. Be jealous. I shook Batman's hand. Living in a time now where I'm just like jonesing to go to a convention, like it's it's a real thing. Like I thought you were gonna be uh, like living in a time in which I'm jonesing to shake a grown man's hand. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess that too. But uh, mm. no, I just the fact that like there are little things every once in a while that'll like spark something in me. I'm like, man, I I, I need to go to a convention. I just I, I was having a conversation last night with Ryan about just you know cabin fever and whatnot and. I'm like, you know, I'm like, I don't really miss certain things, but I'm like, there's part of me that just being in an atmosphere of a convention is energizing. It, 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 it reminds you you're surrounded by all these things that you love and it, it, it sort of gives you a kick in the butt to be like, this is why you're doing it. This is the stuff that you love. This is, yeah. you know, where you want to be like, and it's a nice reminder and 
you know, the last convention I was at was, I want to say, and I wasn't presenting there, obviously, or presenting, I wasn't tabling there, um, might have been Cinema Wasteland October of last year, Yeah, maybe? That, that sounds right. Like, you know, um, I know. So I, it's yeah. like, yeah. I'm almost a year away from having not been to a convention, and I just, I get so like, you know, oh, man, I... I I want to be surrounded by those things that I love again. And, uh, and whether it's walking around cinema wasteland, you know, drunk, spending too much money or, you know, being at a convention, trying to sell my wares. Like I, I miss that experience. But even now where I'm like, I should have gone and met Kevin Conroy. Cause who knows, you know, <laughs> I, I may never get to now. Well, I mean, I eventually things will, will be different. And I, as much as I, I know I spent a ton of money at wizard world this past year, uh, it's like in hindsight, I'm like, holy crap, I'm glad I went out. Like when I did before everything kind of fell apart, like, but it's like, even then we didn't realize how dangerous that even was, you know, but it's like, like the week after yeah. the world is shut down and I'm like, oh, well, at least I got to talk to voice actors from video games. Like that just feels weird to me. But can I just tell you that when I met Kevin Conroy, I said to him, I was like, you're my favorite part. Uh, I said, you were the, you, your line and yoga hosers was the thing I laughed at. And then he laughed and shook my hand. So I don't know if he understood that I was saying he was the only part of that movie I found funny, but I wanted to let him know that I enjoyed his part and yoga hosers. So it's just, you know, that, and he yeah, has, I, he, yeah, it's one of those things too, where, uh, you know, you think back on it and it's like meeting him like I, I don't know i mean other than yeah i think the thing that i probably would say is what i said earlier is that like i can't pick up a batman comic and and not hear his voice like he, he is the voice of batman i think that would be the only thing that i could say to him but he's heard it all at this point that's so, that's why i thought it I, better off with the, <laughs> i thought a yoga, yoga hoser's reference would get to him and he it did so <laughs> that was great. So anyway, uh, we, we have uh, Dan Delaney as Andrea Beaumont. Uh, she um, she actually, because of this performance, actually ended up getting like good with uh, DC and Warner Brothers and ended up voicing Lois Lane in a number of Superman projects. Um, we I think we know her best from, um, what was it, uh, China Beach? That's not right. Um, yeah. She, yeah. And she was in Tombstone the same year. But yeah, like very recognizable face. Um but yeah, very established actress. And then she ended up doing a lot of voice work and this is kind of what got her into that. So I, I, I think it's yeah. so interesting that she went on to play Lois Lane in the, it, it, what's called technically uh, people call it the Tim verse. It's, and I, I probably should have said this at the beginning of the episode, Batman, the animated series was followed by Superman, the animated series followed by Batman beyond, and then followed by justice league and justice league unlimited. Those all those series have a continuity that kind of goes through them, and they're all Bruce Tim was a big piece of all of them, so they're they're kind of considered the Tim verse, and they're probably fifteen years between all of them if you stack them up, um, all the episodes, and, but, they, and they have kind of a unified style to them. Yeah, yeah, and I, that's I'll just say this real quick: DC keeps putting out its animated movies. I don't. I don't understand why they're like shying away from like once a year, just throw out a, an animated Batman movie from Batman, the animated series by Bruce Tim or yeah. Superman or justice league, or like these guys are still working. They're still all like love these characters. I'm sure. 
put them on, you know, I don't understand why there isn't a new Justice League movie, you know, from the Timverse. I just, it, I don't know. It, it makes no sense because the, 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 it's a, it's a more approachable proposition than other things. Right. So yeah, I agree yeah. with that. Yeah. So, but yeah, I, I, I think it's so funny that she would voice, uh, probably what's Batman's greatest love interest. And I, I keep putting her as a love interest. You mean, I just you mean, mean Superman's like, super. Oh yeah. She, yeah, she'd be Batman's no, grace and then, and then be Superman. You're right. I'm sorry. You're, yeah. You're right. Yeah. So, uh, I, it's just funny to me that she voiced both. I would, I would argue that the Joker is Batman's greatest love interest. I would argue that just, you some know. people would argue it's Robin. <laughs> no, 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 no. The Joker. Uh, no, Ugh, no, no, don't want to, no, no. Uh, so all right we have uh stacy keach as carl beaumont uh in the voice of the phantasm um i i didn't realize that was him stacy keach is awesome that's all i gotta say this he has a presence and I and I, I and I love him i got one thing to just throw in there about stacy keach one is, is well i guess it's two things one uh growing up my mom used to love the uh the mike hammer mysteries mike hammer yes it, they were tv you know based on the books, but TV movies that were put out, I think in the eighties. Uh, and he would, he played Mike hammer. So my mom was all about Stacy Keach. And then, uh, uh, my wife, uh, was a big fan of, uh, uh, the comedian. Um, I can't think of his name now. I can't believe I'm blanking on this. He had a show on Fox for three years. Uh, and Stacy Keach plays it. Oh, Titus. 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 You're talking yeah. about Titus. Yeah. 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 I've seen him live a couple times. Really funny. Christopher uh, Titus is the uh, comedian's name, but he had a show called Titus. I remember that briefly. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Stacey Keach played the dad on that, and he was amazing on that show. So those are the two things that stick out for me. Nice. Um, then we have Abe Vigoda as Salvatore Valestra. Like, um, I'm glad that Abe Vigoda was around doing that. Um, I just, I always think of Abe Vigoda more from uh, Conan O'Brien, where um, he'd always just show up randomly. And then when Conan left late night to go uh, take over the tonight show. One of the last acts he did was release a Bogota back into the wild. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I I loved a Bogota appearing on Conan. And then uh, the other thing that I have associated with is is obviously the thing I think most people associate with who aren't uh, over 40 or who aren't under 40, I guess is, is um, Barney Miller. Oh yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, I just, I also like there was the website forever. It was like Abe Vigoda still alive.com. And it's like, yes. And then, it, you know, not anymore, but it was fun there for a bit. Uh, Dick Miller as Chucky soul. That one, I kept thinking that was, um, Oh frick. What was his name? I kept thinking that it was, um, Oh, I, I I'll look it up in a second. I just, I, it's Dick Miller. He's recognizable, but I thought he was, um, somebody else. Um, you mean so. chopping malls, Dick Miller? I mean the Gremlins, Dick Miller. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you mean um, uh, Terminators, Dick Miller. Um, yeah. Uh, what was that movie that we we did um for Talk Without Rhythm? That stupid uh, space movie. Um, Are you talking Explorers. about Explorers? Explorer, Dick Miller of you Explorers. Mean that great space movie. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was a Harvey Keitel. I honestly thought it was Harvey Keitel for a half second being Chucky Saul. I thought that like that voice sounded like that, but it's Dick Miller. You got, you, you, we love Dick Miller. And even though he was in that dumb space movie explores, <laughs> the 
throw a rock and you can hit a movie that Dick Miller was in. But yeah. uh, I'm glad I'm that you're let upset. your comment about explorers go. <laughs> All right, sorry, I'm I'm getting slap happy here. Uh, so we got uh, John P. Ryan as Buzz Bronski. Um, I, I, I when I pulled up his IMDb profile, I'm like that name, like his face looks familiar. Um, we talked about him last year. He was the warden uh, Rankin from One Runaway Train, the canon film. Oh wow, I did not realize that. Yeah, um, which we loved him. Look- he was he was uh, he was uh, a great terrible person in that film yeah and it, it's <laughs> i shouldn't say it this way but uh runaway train was a great movie put out by a terrible movie studio of course, so you know, it i wanted to call back to <laughs> runaway train because that's a good movie so yeah but yeah john ryan was in that in the he was a voice in this so i wanted to call that out so i have ephraim zimbalis uh zimbalis uh jr's alfred um which he was alfred he voiced alfred in a lot of things including the animated series and beyond that um, yeah, yeah, I just wanted to say, too, that uh, very much in the same way that I hear uh, Kevin Conroy's voice when I read dialogue, uh, when Alfred shows up, it's Ephraim Zimbalist Jr.'s yeah. voice that I hear as well. And, and he, he did a lot of animated work, regardless of uh, Alfred. And the last person I have here is someone that, um, you, I don't know, I'm just, I don't know if you guys have heard this before, it's someone named uh, Mark Hamill. Um, playing uh, the Joker. I don't know if you guys are familiar with him or not. I I think you're mispronouncing the name. I think it's uh, uh, the, the K is silent. I think it's just Mar Mar Hamil <laughs> Mar Hamil as the Joker. <laughs> that's that's what it is. Um, yeah. I mean, we've talked about Mark Hamill. He's amazing, and I, I liked in the trivia that. Uh, when this film was in theaters, he went to go see it in the theater. I don't know how true this is, but I'm sure he would verify it. He went to go see it, and then the theater was kind of empty, so he told the people around him, like, sit with me as we watch this movie. <laughs> like, like that's amazing. He'd be like, hey, everybody, I'm Mark Hamill. Sit with me. We're going to watch this movie. To be that person accidentally in that theater, you know, that day is a story that no one would ever believe you. So two things. One, um, it I believe that story simply because it's very close to the experience I had. I saw it with three people. In <laughs> Maybe the you saw it with Mark Hamill. You uh, didn't know it. Sorry, Mark no, Hamill. he did not ask me to come sit next to him. Uh, I don't believe he was in Sandusky, Ohio, uh, Christmas 94, uh, 1993. We so. don't know his life, you know, like Corvette summer, <laughs> Toyota winter. We don't know. But I will say that when I found out that he was the voice of the Joker, it blew my mind. I I couldn't believe he was the Joker. Like, I I don't know why. I mean, obviously, I was a younger person at that time, and I didn't really know that much about voice actors. But when I, I feel like it was like an HBO, like, you know, back in the day, HBO would do this like sneak preview thing where they, they you know, be a 10 episode or 10 minute episode of something before they showed, uh, you know, Encino Man for the 40th time um, that day. But they would always do these interstitials. And it would be behind the scenes of movies that are coming out. And they had one for Batman, the, the or Batman Mask of the Phantasm. And they had an interview with Mark Hamill. And I, my jaw, like, hit the ground. I just, I couldn't believe it. I remember just being completely, like, gobsmacked. I was like, I, like, how is, how is this person who I love doing this voice? And I didn't even realize it. It was, and I, it's, you know, everybody knows it now. But I, I don't think it was that big of a... 
a thing well, back then. Think about think about his career at that point. Like there, I mean, not that he was never like loved, but we talk about typecasting. You mentioned Adam West, who was like this the victim of typecasting. Hamill was there too, right? So then, um, did, did the Flash TV show? It came out like around this time, but before the series. Is that so? Is that it right? had yeah. so yeah. no. The it, <laughs> funny thing, uh, the Flash series debuted on CBS. I was in high school. It was before this movie, um, and uh, I, I have very distinct memories <laughs> of dating a girl. And we, she had this house, this room in her house that was like the TV room that was separate from like the rest of the house. It was like a, I don't know. It's it's where we would go and watch like TV on like a Saturday, and uh, if we were having a date in, if you will. And uh, I, I to this day, I remember her being mad at me because I, I made <laughs> made her watch the flash. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so funny. yeah, it's very ingrained in my mind at, at the time at which. Uh, that series ran. Uh, yeah, that but- was that was 1990. Uh, I just looked it up, and I just want to mention that Mark Mark Hamill uh, played the live action version of the Trickster. Then, he did, which was was kind of a big deal at the time, just because you know he was showing up again. Not that he ever truly went away, but his star is is not in the same place that it is now. Let's just put it that way. Uh, so yeah, please. Two go ahead. things on that, real quick. I just wanted to say I'm I'm sure you can probably still pick it up relatively cheap. Uh, years ago, I, I picked up the, uh, they had the entire, like, you know, the whole, cause it only ran one season, but you could buy mm-hmm. the entire season for like 20 bucks on DVD, uh, the flash, uh, and revisiting that probably within the last five years, I still want to say it's a lot of fun. Um, it's, it's crazy how like much they tried to make the flash into a Tim Burton style show, but man, is it fun? Uh, so if anybody out there has, you know, ever been curious about checking it out, Check it out. It's it's a lot of fun. And then Yeah, to mention yeah. sorry, I'm gonna cut you off. Um yeah. it also tried doing the mashup of like different time frames. Like it had like a like a noir feel to it, but also modern technology. Like it tried to walk that line, if I remember mm-hmm. correctly. Oh yeah, absolutely. And uh uh the other thing that I thought was funny is is that uh Mark Hamill then popped up on the new version of the Flash, the CW version mm-hmm. of the Flash as, as the, the trickster, trickster as well. Yeah. But and also, I, I mean, John like, Wesley Shipp showed up as the father of uh, the Flash, and he actually gets to play the Flash later, too. So, yeah. yeah that's, and he's in the same suit, which is amazing. So Yes. But he also plays uh, Jay Garrett, the gold, like the Silver Age version, too. So there's a lot of fun mm-hmm. to be had there. So, um, yeah. Anyway, uh, so Mark Hamill, the Joker, we'll, we'll talk more about him in a second in terms. I just also want to do a, a shout out here to, uh, Shirley Walker, who did the composing of the themes for the film and also did a lot of music for the original series and did a lot of composing for a lot of DC animated stuff. Um, which by the way, looking up the flash TV show, she did the, the music for that aside from the theme cause she worked under Danny Elfman. So that makes a lot of sense. Uh, the music here is great. Uh, so it would be remiss not to mention the scoring in this film. Looking at her credits, though, I just got <laughs> I got to mention two things. And this is not this is not reflective of her work as a whole because she's done amazing things. Um, she did um, what was it the the Angela Lansbury positive moves uh, video in the eighties? That was the Angela Lansbury workout video that I've seen clips of. Oh my and- god, I didn't even know that thing. <laughs> It's so 
dumb and amazing. Uh, so she did the scoring for that. And then she also did the score for uh, 1984's Ghoulies, which we talked about briefly oh. about partnering up with Gremlins for the year of the knockoff. So, uh, but Shirley Walker's music in this is really, really good. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of uh, animated series fans think that it's it's you know Danny Elfman, and uh, not to take away from Danny Elfman, he did an amazing score uh, for Batman and Batman Returns. But uh, all that stuff is Shirley Walker, and it's it's fantastic. I actually realized today that I'm like I don't actually own the soundtrack to this, and I should. Uh, it needs to be added into my playlist. Yeah, no, the music's good. So um, I, I know I've uh, been uh, laughing too much and we've been dragging this out. But hey, if this is your first episode of Invasion of the Podcast, well, welcome to a 10,000 download series over the course of eight to 10 years. Um, <laughs> and also the, the the premise of this show is taking over the listener, uh, taking over the world one listener at a time and one beverage at a time. So that's what happens here. But anyway. Um, so here's things about this film. I guess maybe, uh, I, I'll, I'll let you give the, uh, the, like the highlights of the plot. Um, I'm going to throw this out here too. And I probably should have did this beforehand, but I'm gonna throw this out right now. Do you know why they are called spoilers? If you've not seen this film, um, watch it. It's available on Netflix right now. Uh, it is not like HD quality, which is a bummer. So when I watched it, it wasn't like Blu-ray quality, but I think a lot of the art still speaks for itself because it's very clean and crisp. We'll talk more about that in a second. It's available on Netflix. There's no reason. It's like it's an hour and like 17 minutes or something like that. It's, it's a breeze to get through. Watch the film. If you've not seen it, um, it's awesome. Uh, so I'm throwing out spoilers. Uh, I should have also thrown out a spoiler before we got the cast, because here's my big surprise to you, Steve. Here's, here's your mind blower. Are you ready for this? You ready All for right. my mind blower? I didn't know the Joker was in this movie until I watched it. Uh, so that made me very happy. Not just because of Mark Hamill, the way it folded in organically. I didn't feel like it was shoehorned, um, but I did not realize that he was in this film. So I thought that was great. But if you can give us like a brief plot breakdown, that would be awesome. So a brief uh, plot synopsis is, is that there is a, mysterious figure who's appeared in Gotham and is killing, uh, gang lords or crime syndicate bosses. Basically, uh, the cops think it's Batman. who's doing it. Um, but this new person who's named the phantasm, uh, although I don't think they're actually ever named in the movie. No. Um, the, uh, the character is new to Batman's world. So, while he's investigating this person who is knocking off these, gang lords we get a also um i don't want to say a double story but there's a lot of flashbacks within the film uh it's sort of a juxtaposed story of who batman was before he became batman it's a little year one um for those of you who read comics batman year one it's a little bit of that but it also explores batman's first and i think most important love interest as a character and i say this uh, simply as somebody who's going to, uh, well, I'll get, we'll, when we get there, I'll talk about it. But to me, as a, somebody who's been reading Batman for over 30 years, it, it, it contains a scene that is one of the best Batman scenes, and it's not an action scene. It's a Bruce Wayne scene. 
that sums that character up to a T better than anything I could ever think of. And it's, it's, it's so powerful when it happens in the film and it's one that just sticks with me every time I watch it. Um, but before I go on too much and gush about that, uh, we could talk about the movie proper. So long story short, character shows up, killing gang lords, Batman's investigating. It's also interspersed with a, uh, backstory of his first year of trying to become Batman. Yeah. It's a collision course for him and this other figure. And then eventually, uh, because of just the, the, the situation that is the Joker gets wrapped up in it too, to where it all ends up being this big, uh, climactic fight. That's pretty, uh, cinematic fight, I should say. Um, but there's a lot of things for, I'll, I'll, let me just say this just right up front for a film with the shortest runtime as it is. I don't know how they're able to bring so much to the table and get you so invested in the current story, the flashbacks and the finale and still keep this under an hour and a half. Whenever current like films have to run two and a half hours and you're like, you still feel like they didn't address everything. This thing is lean and mean and it is, I, I don't understand the magic that worked here. I really don't because even the, like when I watched it the first time a couple of days ago, um, I had to pause it to, to do other things, um, you know, to, I don't know, slop the cats or whatever it was. I forget what I was doing at the time. Um, and I realized I'm like, I'm only halfway through this. And it's like, what is like, I wasn't bored. I didn't feel like it was drawn out. It's just like, I'm like, what else can they do in this movie? You know, like, like this, this not that this is to compare the two. Cause this is nowhere near the compare the two. What we talked about last week for a few dollars more, that film is over two hours. It's about two hours, 20 minutes and it takes its time, but I don't feel that film's boring. This is almost half that runtime and it fits in like two times the plot. And I don't understand how they did it. I don't know. And it blows my mind. I think part of that is simply the fact that it's an animated film. So they've got to use their story points as economically as they possibly can. They are because they have to physically draw them out. They can't take those long moments that a a live action film could. Um, So I think that that's part of it. I think also it's just so incredibly well-written. The two gentlemen that I read, uh, mentioned earlier, Alan Burnett and Paul Dini are some of the best Batman writers to ever put pen to the character. So that's a big piece of it. And then also you mentioned not knowing that the Joker was in it. I mean, I think one of the smart things about this movie is, is that he doesn't pop up until like 40 minutes in. Yeah. So it's not about the Joker, which I think is a smart thing. Cause he's, he's, I don't want to go so far as to say he's a side character in this, but he doesn't come in until, you know, at least, you know, a third or a quarter of the way or a third or halfway through the film. And by that point, you're so invested in the story. His being there just amps up the tension, the um, the uh, what's the word? The stakes. Yeah. Uh, his his presence just sort of amplifies that because now Batman's got this third thing that he's got to deal with. Yeah. So then I was not expecting um, like well, let's, 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 one, the trailer that we played and where I was talking about people crunching carrots, that was Bugs Bunny at the beginning of that trailer, eating carrots, by the way. And two, the cover art for this film makes it very clear that there's a direct connection between the phantasm and Batman because of the way the negative space 
that's done between the mask of the phantasm where it, it basically you could shove Batman's cow in that negative space. It's not hiding what it is. And that's not this movie. That's not, that's not giving anything away that there's a direct relation between the phantasm and Batman. And like I said, who the phantasm is got ruined for me a while ago, but knowing I did not know the Joker was in this. I'm glad that I didn't see this trailer before watching the movie, because when the Joker popped up, I popped like that's that's a term that you would hear in terms of wrestling of like when so and so shows up, I popped for that. I'm like, my God, like that's like I was also worried that it was going to get overstuffed, but they folded him organically into the story and it made sense. And I I dug it. Um, This I wasn't expecting this to be a parallel track story of the ongoing thing and then an origin story of where Bruce was his first time's crime fighting and then realizing that just being a man with a ski mask doesn't get the job done and how this this story that we get here is a Batman origin story and we get all the notes that we know from every other Batman film that his parents died but we don't need to get into specifics. We know it happened. We don't need to get into all that beat for beat for beat, but we see the guilt and the legacy and the shadow. And then we see the origin of Bruce transitioning into Batman, or I should say choosing to, to do this. It's, it's a different way. Um, in a lot of ways, and I, I'm, I'm rambling here, Steven, you're going to step in here and correct me. This feels almost like, a proto MCU movie where it takes what we know and then changes it slightly enough to fit the story they want to tell, but you get the grace notes. That's what this feels like to me. I think that's a fair analogy. Uh, when you're talking about um, just the, the reveal being spoiled for you, uh, you were not alone in that, in that, uh, Kenner released the toys before the movie came <laughs> yeah, out. I read about that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the mask of the phantasm, the phantasm figure, uh, comes with a removable mask. So it's very clear who the ma- the, the phantasm actually is. And I, I think it's interesting because Warner's went to, or I shouldn't say Warner's, but at least the people behind the film went behind, went to lengths to try to hide who the phantasm was by making sure that Stacy Keach voiced the phantasm and released material saying that's you know who the voice in the phantasm was um so it's you weren't the only one that that was for. <laughs> that's fair that if only they pulled um, the mask off and you saw the person underneath have a stacy keats mustache that would have been amazing that just, you know. <laughs> I, I have the figure i'll, I'll try and <laughs> solder but, on solder on a mustache <laughs> <laughs> but uh the other thing that i was gonna say is is that uh well, one of the hallmarks of Batman the Animated Series uh, was being, you know, more adult than a normal cartoon show. Um, it did escalate certain things in the way that it portrayed action. And this film takes it up to another level. Um, and if you, like, put it up against, say, The, the Dark Knight, it, it probably seems tame by comparison. But there are moments in this film that are small character moments in relation to the action that are so much more powerful, I think, in ways to me. So, like, the opening scene, Batman is listening in on these crime lords who are going to be laundering some money, and he he busts in on their meeting, basically, and he, he starts just whipping butt. But there's a there's a, a, an amazing moment where he, he, he kicks, like, I don't know, four or five guys' butts, and then 
one guy ends up under a table <laughs> and his gun is just out of reach and Batman's still pursuing one other person. And as Batman's walking away, the guy's trying to reach for the gun and the table's on top of him and Batman just stomps his foot down on him and you see the guy just like <laughs> stop. Yeah. And it's, it's great. amazing. It's great. Um, yeah, I, that was cool. Um, yeah, I just, they, you're right. There was a lot of like, this is Batman. And there was like, I feel like because they, they knew that they were making this animated film based upon a series that's been out there, they didn't need to spend time um, informing the audience in a lot of ways. But you also get, you get who he is there. You get the phantasm with the showdown and the parking garage between uh, Chucky Saul, uh, between Dick Miller and, and the phantasm. That's cool. And then you get Batman kind of observing, like, I don't know what has happened, but there's a car in this building. That's not good. And he's like, I'm going to fly away now. And everyone's like, Batman did this. And Chuck is dead. You know, like there's like, that's an amazing open sequence. And then I just also, then you get Batman being a detective and like you get, again, you get enough. And also um, credit to the writing of Alfred that he's able, like, there are funny bits in this film, not just Mark Hamill's the Joker, but Alfred gets the lion's share of the best lines in this movie. And, oh, yeah. I, I'm going to stop you right there. The yeah. fact that uh, the first scene that we see Alfred in, they're watching a news report in which somebody's talking about the mental health of Batman. And uh, Alfred's like, well, you're the very picture of, of uh, mental health, mental health. <laughs> sir. I, yeah. By the way, I just ironed your tights and put away your exploding gas balls. Like, <laughs> yes. come on. That's great writing. Oh, it's great. And they gave they gave the character a lot of good like facial reactions to things going on. Because there was definitely twice where he brought tea services in where Batman ends up making out. Like, you know, like sorry, Bruce makes out on like the front lawn and he's like, I'm gonna turn around now. And then later he shows up with the other team. He's like, Oh, that's inappropriate. And he just like, turns around. They keep <laughs> giving him like there there is fun here uh and then and and mark hamill's performance of the joker he like he's a joker that actually says things that are funny which seems to not be what you can do now i don't know uh, when he calls when he calls batman guano man mm -hmm. my favorite part of the film i'm like <laughs> it's like you you just made a shit joke in a pg film and it's amazing um, my yeah. My favorite Joker moment real quick, and it's not even part of Mark Hamill's performance because it's animated, but when they're in the uh, setting of the World's Fair, as yes. it is now, the Joker's hangout, or hideout, I should say, there's a robot who's like designed to like be like a housewife, if you will, like cutting up salami. And uh, he walks over and he pinches her cheek and the paint comes off. But what's great is, is that he doesn't like throw the paint away. He picks it up and he just like puts it in his pocket. Yes, <laughs> yes, that's that's a great moment. And then later on, he goes to like pinch her ass and he pulls more away. He looks at it like it's. <laughs> you're right. There, there's great moments of that. Uh, so um, yeah, there, there's great levity in this. There's there's humor. Uh, Batman actually even has a couple moments where he's bemused. It's like. Like you can have all of this and still have a very serious story and still show him being Batman, being Bruce and trying to solve things. I, again, I don't know. Like when you say this is like probably the, the best Batman film, um, I have to agree with you. Like I, because 
it still raises the stakes. You still feel for Bruce. You still struggle with his choices that he has to make and what he believes is his promise and, and legacy. Um, and you still have fun with this. Why is this so hard to figure out? I don't understand when we have this, why Batman can Batman as a viewing experience can be fun. Batman as a character can smile every so often, but you can still have very serious peril involved. Why is that not allowed anymore? So I'm very glad to hear that you enjoyed this as much as you did. Cause I, my fear was, this was like, I had been in this position before where people have hyped something up and then you sit down to watch it. He's like, okay, everyone's talking about this. It has to be great. And then you watch it and like that expect- expectation isn't met. Um, <laughs> Feels like me last week talking to you about a certain Western we talked about. No, I mean, I, I didn't, that was, that sur- surpassed my expectations. Cause I was, I was walking into a movie genre that I don't watch a lot of. And I was expecting to like, be like, okay, it's still a Western. And I didn't dig it. And I, instead I had the opposite reaction, fell in love, want to catch up, want to check out more. Um, with that in mind though, when it comes to, you know, Batman as a whole, uh, I can understand, you know, people have their own favorites. That happens with any character, any fictional character. But I, I remember specifically the, the case that I always go back to is Silence of the Lambs, which is a film that I now appreciate. But everyone and their mother told me that it was the greatest thing since sliced bread. Mm. And I finally watched it. I was like the last person on earth to watch silence of the lands. And I was not blown away. And I was, I let that like haunt me for like, you know, 20 years. And then I revisited it and I was like, Oh yeah, this is a really good movie. And it is a bit of a genius, you know, performance, uh, between both, uh, um, uh, I can't think of his name, Anthony and, um, Hopkins and yeah, uh, Clarice Starling. Uh, why can I think of the character's name, but not the actress, Jodie Foster. Oh, Jodie Foster played Star- <laughs> yeah, Clarice Starling, yes. Clarice. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so um, I was afraid that would be your experience. I was worried that it was going to be like, yeah, it's all right. Uh, no, I, but I'm, I'm glad to hear that you enjoyed it. No, and, and I understand about certain things where it's like you hold you hold the things that you love dear, and then it's like, thankfully, like, and, and my wife can attest to this. There's times where I'm so bad about like when she's like, "Let's watch a movie." I'm like, "Yes," and I bring her all these movies out. She's like, "Well, well about a while I want to watch." I'm like, "But these are the ones I love," and it's like so. There's been times where I've like set her down and been like, "I love this beyond imagination," and if you if you don't look in awe the entire time, like it's like, I'll look over while she's watching it. And like, 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 um, like the thing, uh, Carpenter's the thing. Like, I remember when we first started dating, I showed it to her and then her reaction was, well, who was it? I'm like, that's not the point of the movie. Like, like, <laughs> and she, she got mad because the ending of that film's ambiguous. And I'm like, that's why I love it. And so I get it. Like, there's certain expectations you bring to things. Like for me, the one that people overhyped like forever and ever and ever um, was probably Blue Velvet. Like I feel like that's something that shaped a lot of people, and I think maybe I should have watched it 20 years ago or whenever it came out. It's a cool movie. There's a lot there. It just it has the shadow that it casts, and I dug it. It just didn't hit me the same way as everybody else that loves it. So I can agree with you on that. 
I don't know that I love Blue Velvet, but uh, man, do I love Dennis Hopper and Blue Velvet. That's we'll put it that and, way. And yes, that's fair. And <laughs> Dean Stockwell. I like anytime I see Dean. Yeah, um, but yeah. So so I get it. Like I I I think this movie is great. I, let me let me get into. Um, some of the, the, the things that I was not expecting one, the Joker, which was great, but two, there's the flashback of him and, uh, Andrea. Cause we get the idea that she's, she knows who Bruce is. Cause she's talking to her mother, her mother's, uh, gravestone while Bruce is like constantly talking to his parents about like, why do we have to go to the theater that night or whatever he says, you know, um, why do we have to watch Mac and me? That's not what happened. But, uh, um, he, he like, she knows his position in the world, but she doesn't, she doesn't kind of care about that. And that is, um, that ends up on Bruce's radar where, uh, she kind of like, like busts his chops and, and it's like, I know you're a rich playboy, whatever. She thinks he's cute, but like, she doesn't see beyond that yet. And I, I like that, that back and forth where like, she is interested in him, but when she like, brings herself out to him saying, you didn't call me. He's like, I didn't know I was supposed to. She's like, there's that back and forth. You immediately get that they like each other and she's different. And I dug that. I dug that whole, like that whole flashback. And then how he's trying to do like, um, he says it's jujitsu, but it's actually judo by the way. And she does like a throw, a shoulder, like a hip throw that we see again later. I like that. She presents as an equal, to him, which is the rarity for Bruce Wayne, where everybody always vies for his attention about what he is, not who he is. That was a very nice shortcut in the writing. I dug that. What I did like that I was not expecting was um, like the parallel tracks of his origin, where at first when he, his, his first big crime bust or whatever, wearing his mask, like, sorry, the, the, the hood and people didn't take him seriously and he did okay. But then there's the bit of the world's fair and Gotham's world fair where he's with Andrea and they're walking around the different exhibits and they see the car of tomorrow. And he's like, that looks pretty cool. And she's like, what are you saying? He's like, I don't nothing, nothing, not important. And that car is very similar to the Batmobile we see in the future in the series. I liked all that. I liked them going through the little ride with the home of tomorrow and the world of tomorrow. You get the notion that Gotham at the time was always looking towards this perfect shiny future and I didn't think twice about it until you realize that's the Joker's hideout and the Batman is now forced to deal with this current adversary that would rather see this world in ruins and has to now face Andrea in a future that was never perfect. Like a animated film should not have that many layers to it, but it blows my mind. What's amazing about the film is, is, all right, let me step back, actually. Uh, one, um, how, I don't know how you don't fall in love with Andrea Beaumont as a character. Um, one of the things that I love about her character is, is the first scene that we meet her. She's having a conversation with her mother who's passed away, and she's at her gravestone. Very similar to the way Batman always has his conversations with mm. his dead parents. But, you know, as somebody who lost his, his, his dad at a young age... You know, that's when we would go and visit the cemetery. That was what I did. I would sit there and just have conversations with my dad because this is the only way that I knew how to try and like talk to this person who was gone. So that that hit home with me. But the moment you're talking about uh, after they meet and she shows up at Wayne Manor, he's he's practicing jujitsu. And I think it might actually be Taekwondo. I'm not sure. 
I don't know my jujitsu's. Um, but right. uh, sorry, he says one thing, but he's not actually doing it. I, right. I know that, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't know, but uh, she, uh, she says to him, she's like, we met like three days ago and you haven't called me. And he's like, and she's like, well, I just thought I'd stop by and see if you were dead or something. Because, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Like, yeah. she's just so amazed that he didn't call her. I like that approach of like being self-confident, but at the same time, just sort of poking fun at him. Like she knows there's something more going on with him. And yeah. I really love that because it comes into play later in the story. Um, but we'll just get to the, the heart of the matter. And this is the scene this is the scene that I think defines Batman as a character for me. Um, and it's, it's honestly in a film, it's the best scene, uh, for me personally describing who Batman is as a character. And I, I don't understand why we can't get something akin to this in a, a, in a, in a live action film, but he's finding out as he's dating Andrea that like, Oh my God, life, doesn't have to be this dark place that you know i spend the rest of my life trying to get out of or trying to fix gotham i i, I can't believe that you know i'm happy and he's, he's he's absolutely thrown by that he he never expected to be happy and i actually put the line down in my notes he says to his parents he's 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 praying to his parents because it's it's thrown off his plan of becoming Batman. Mm-hmm. He's at his parents' grave, and he's like, please, I need it to be different now. Uh, I know I made a promise, but I didn't see this coming. I didn't count on being happy. Man, it just cuts through me every time I watch that scene. And it's it's so much at the heart of who Batman is and why he becomes what he does. It's an amazing scene. And like when you have, a, you know, in a live action film, if you have somebody like Christian Bale, who a lot of people equate to being a very, you know, well-regarded actor, never giving him to get to play that scene seems, you know, a scene like that, I should say. It, it, it seems like, wow, I understand that you don't want to do the same thing that they did in another movie, but like, he never, he, he just gets to brood in those movies, you know? Um, I don't think Ben Affleck got to do more than brooding in the two movies he's in. I don't know that, and, and this is somebody who, who loves Michael Keaton. I don't think he got to do that, but like seeing a heart of who Batman is and a guy who just never expected being happy and finding out that there's a possibility he could be happy and like how much that beats him up is such a powerful scene. And I, I don't understand why we don't get more of that. It, and it could be said for the comics as well. Like a guy who's just like, I, I didn't count on being happy. Well, what now? Yeah. So there's, there's two things I'll say to that because this is, this is the episode of where we bring two things and two things and two things. Uh, one, when you're saying that it reminds me a lot of the film, the crow, when uh, Eric Draven goes to the grave of his, uh, his fiance and he thinks things are done and he's about to have, you know, his reunion with her. And then he sees his, his friend get taken by top dollar. And he realizes that like he could, he could, it's okay for him to, to rest, but there's that notion of like, yeah, I can't let Sarah be brutalized because of my actions. And he has to make that decision. That reminds me of that a lot where he's torn between like, you know, the thing that he, the thing that he wants versus what he knows what's right. So, that that's one thing. The other thing, this is going to be weird. So bear with me for a second. There's the, the film from the sixties called King of Kings 
that's a, it's a Jesus film. Jeffrey Hunter plays Jesus who, you know, we know him from, um, he was Captain Pike in Star Trek <laughs> for a second, pressing a beeping noise. Sitting I in was just going to say, was yeah. he in a chair that just beeped? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I remember. Of that yeah, he, but he was the, Captain Pike was in the original pilot. Um, yeah, I don't yeah. know. If I'm, well, no, that's part of the episode, right? They they built that into it, right? Yeah, the the, the okay. was it the glass menagerie? I think was either it was the glass menagerie or the cage. The cage, the cage was the pilot. Yeah. The glass menagerie was the two parter. I think they brought him back in. They used a lot from the pilot. Anyway, either way, Jeffrey Hunter. Amazing blue eyes, not Franco Nero blue eyes, but pretty damn close. He plays Jesus, and there's a bit before the night before he's betrayed by Judas. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he is like calling out to God because he knows what his his fate is, and he's like, like he's in tears. He's like, why do I have to do this? And it's that that thing of like he knows he knows what his fate is, but he doesn't want it to be that way because he is human and wants to do other things like there, there's a very similar thing there. Um, and I'm not saying that Batman is Jesus, but you, you can get the notion of someone that who's on a set path and they didn't expect to feel the way they did, even though they know what their fate is. And there's a lot here in this that you're right. I wish we had this in a cinematic Batman movie, have him vulnerable, not just angry and pissed off, but actually vulnerable. We don't see that. Yeah, I mean, they tried to do that a little bit with The Dark Knight, with um, Rachel Dawson's character, or Rachel Dawes' uh, character, um, and, you know, putting her in love with Two-Face and having to make the decision of whether or not to be with her, with him, or uh, Harvey Dent, and, you know, then she's blown up halfway through the movie, and he's got to deal with that. Yeah, spoiler alert. Uh, but we already done an episode of the dark Knight, but, um, so we get a little bit of that, but we don't get this. We don't get, we don't get to experience a, him being in love and like the way that it's amped up throughout the flashbacks where, you know, uh, he's struggling with it because at one point he and her are, um, out on the street and somebody's being robbed and he tries to intervene mm-hmm. and he gets distracted because of her and he loses because of that when he would have just normally like taken these guys out. And that puts him in a place of like, how do I risk myself if I have somebody to come home to? Like, how do I, how do I become the thing that I'm supposed to become if I have somebody waiting for me at home? Like I never expected that. I never expected to have somebody who's going to be uh, uh, there for me. And it just, I don't know, like as somebody who's, who's, (laughs) you know, read so many comics with Batman and seen all the movies and loves the character so much. I just, I think it's a scene that just drives home at the heart of who the character is better than most will ever do. And um, I want to go back to this real quick too, because, um, one of the one of the classes that I took in college, my last semester of college, I had I needed six credits, but in order for me to get financial aid, I had to take a full load, I think. So I think that was twelve or fifteen credit hours. Long story short, I had to find two classes that I could take that I just didn't care about or just didn't have to worry that much <laughs> about how much work I had to put into it. Yeah. One of those classes was a pop culture of comic books class. 
And it was a car- it was a class that I loved very much. I actually enjoyed it a, a great deal. So it was great. But um, I knew that like I'm probably going to do okay in a comic book co- uh, class. So uh, as we we're like exploring different characters within this class, the instructor hit me with something that I'd never come across before. And maybe it's because I was at a younger age. But he's like, Batman makes a decision to become Batman because he's stunted growth wise in that like he's stuck at being an eight-year-old boy who's watched his parents die that's a decision that you make as an eight-year-old kid a 20-year-old guy doesn't go i'm gonna become batman you know it's a decision that's ingrained in you because something horrible happened to you as a child and it's a decision that you make as a child and you then follow that through to fruition obviously when he's in his 20s but it stuck with me so much and i think it's it's such an interesting exploration thinking of like, you know, this guy who thought how his life was going to go gets thrown this, this hiccup, if you will. And, you know, I think even Alfred has the comment in the movie where Batman's like, you know, this isn't how it's supposed to go. And, and Alfred's like, yeah, this is, this is actually how your life is supposed to go. Like this is, you were supposed to be happy. Your parents wouldn't want you doing what you're doing mm-hmm. all the time and putting yourself at risk. And that stuff just hits me. I mean, yeah, I love watching Batman beat dudes up. I'll watch it all day long. <laughs> I'm not going <laughs> to lie. I love the surface stuff. But when you get to the heart of the character, I, I just, I don't know. It's one of those scenes that just cuts through me like a knife every time I watch it. Well, so. and then even like, so you get this, a uh, really amazing set piece and the the remnants of Gotham's World Fair. Which can I can I just ask a question from you being like a, a an avid Batman fan? And then after after watching Birds of Prey, which I know you've not seen, um, and then but playing like the Arkham games, everything else. Why is Gotham a city that has this core of activity and then every surrounding area a rotted piece of shit? Like why is that? Why is Gotham like, oh, we did this this one time. Now it's condemned. Like how many areas of Gotham is falling apart? I feel like like the OSHA people that are in Gotham are losing sleep every night because of how many piers, how many buildings, how many exhibits are in constant decay. Like what is the infrastructure budget of Gotham? So I, I, <laughs> It's a very good point. I will say um, one of the things that I liked, uh, and I don't remember which writer kind of approached it in this way, but uh, one of the the ways that Gotham was approached was is that the killing of the Waynes, uh, Batman's parents, was a tipping point for Gotham. It was it was in a backslide, and their two most prominent like citizens are murdered and their, their crime is never solved. Although that's from a period in the, I want to say the eighties through the maybe like early two thousands before they decided to go back to the idea of Joe chill having been the killer. I, I like, I like Batman being unable to solve his parents mystery of who killed his parents simply because it adds another spoke to the wheel psychologically. Yeah. But as, the city goes the idea was is that the two most prominent members of this city are murdered and their their killers were never brought to justice 
and it, it sort of begins this backslide for the city, uh, which was had already started. Backslide. That's what I'm like. <laughs> and then Thomas Wayne was one of the people who was trying to make things better in the city. Um, and now that his presence is gone and it sort of all just sort of falls into place for the underworld to take over. And while that happens, the city falls apart. That's fair. I just feel like every time it's like, Hey, is there a wharf? Yeah. But what if it was a wharf falling apart? Hey, what about the world tomorrow? What if that was falling apart? It's like, I don't know. It feels like there's a lot of real estate that probably could have been, I don't know, purchased by a bazillionaire and redeveloped. Just Well, it's like, if you look at the killing joke, uh, the Joker hides out in an abandoned music amusement park. You know, that'd be like if Cedar Point just went belly up and then, <laughs> you know, a, a, a criminal is like, I'm going to make this my lair. No, no, no. <laughs> Joga Lake. That would be Joga Lake where it's like, I'm going to hide out in the sea world that's adjacent. That's what's going to happen. Yeah. No. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it is like a common convention. And uh, I guess it's just because there are only so many stories that can be written about places around Gotham that just fall apart. <laughs> it just, um, it just feels like it's a thing that happens all the time where it's like, here's a huge swath of Gotham that nobody goes to. And it's, it's made of wood and termites. Batman has to go there and stop somebody. Well, it's like, you know, how many places does a uh, two face have to find that has some sort of like, you know, play on the number two in it. So he's like, ah, the, you know, the old toy factory went out of business on second street and uh you know the name of the company was the gemini twins yeah toy store that's where i'm gonna set up base which if i were fat man that would be the first place i'd look uh but (laughs) i'd be like oh but like look up doubles look up the number two i got you you son of a bitch yeah uh yeah no so uh, yeah i just i I just bring up as a side so the things i want to mention here and i uh one, I love the juxtaposition of the world of tomorrow and then the world of now, like how it's all falling apart. And then Batman has to have that that showdown, which I mentioned previously. I dug that. Um, there's a sequence with him dealing with that. Um, Was it the one hot shot attorney general, whatever his name is, the guy that basically is Harvey Dent, but not really, who um, ends up voiced getting- by the actor who played Ellis in Die Hard, which is just perfect. <laughs> yeah. See, essentially the same character. Yes. Yeah. And, and so there's a bit where he gets infected by the Joker serum or Joker toxin. And he's trying to like not laugh because it's killing him. And the, 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 the doctors coming in, like relax him and the Batman shows up. And because he has a spike and like, you know, adrenaline, he starts laughing again. That whole sequence is unnerving where Batman's getting information. And this guy is trying to tell him, but he can't stop laughing. That is so messed up. And it's like, way to go animated movie. That's going to bother me. (laughs) Yeah, that's a great scene. And I I think that's actually goes back to what you were talking about with their use of the Joker of it being so smart and that he's not really a, he's not really a factor until you hit you know, the latter half of the film. Once and he figures out that the phantasm is actually uh, knocking off those and a, a crime associated syndicate that he's directly involved in, he doesn't care until he realizes that this is going to come to his, his stoop. Right. And that's when he gets involved. Otherwise he thinks it's hilarious. Um, I, I will say that that's the one piece of the film that I, I, cringe is not the right word, but the fact that they tie in 
the Joker's origin a little bit to who he was before and has somehow also intertwined with Bruce Wayne's world. It feels a little convenient to me. I prefer the killing joke origin of just a comedian who lost his wife and made a really bad decision. And then everything fell apart for him. That's fair. But Uh, again, it's, it's such a minor quibble. It's like what you're getting with Andrea Beaumont as the phantasm uh, spoilers, everybody you're getting the Batman origin story, but she takes the wrong things from it. Like, organized crime like i mean granted you have a thug and um with the gun in the back alley that shoots his parents but crime overreaching you know like you get the thing that takes the parent away and then she is on the path of vengeance and she decides the best way to do this is to put on a a visage that's going to instill fear into those around them and make them terrified when she shows up She's taking all the things that Bruce learned about how to do the job, but took the wrong lessons from them. And the phantasm is the broken mirror version of Batman. um, And seeing them like, I wish there would have been more. I know this sounds stupid, but I wish there had been more of a showdown with her, with the whole regalia before he shows up to get a better like moment of like, I knew it was you. She takes the mask off, but she already is like it, the hood's already off by the time he shows up. I want I wanted that. I wanted that direct dichotomy of them at that point. It's not, it's not a quibble. It's just a preference, but he, the phantasm is it, it, like the Joker calls it the ghost of uh, Christmas future. That's the ghost of Batman future. And I wish we'd have gotten a little bit more interaction between them and their outfits. Well, to, to take a step back to you, I just want to say real quick uh, within the story, you know, as we're finding out, you know, what happened between the two characters, it turns out that, you know, Andrea Beaumont's father had made some promises to some crime lords to take care of some money and basically was unable to produce for them. And they have to go on the run. Uh, and this is, right after Bruce Wayne has proposed marriage to her. And it's one of the pivotal things in the film that sets Batman off on the, uh, the path that he's going to go on. And it sets Andrea on the path that she's going to go on. Mm -hmm. What's great about that is, is that uh, later in the, it's actually one of the last scenes of the film is after everything's shaken out and everything's happened, Bruce is sort of like talking to Alfred at the very end of the film about like, he doesn't know at that point. I think that she's, I think he thinks she's gone, but he talks about how he couldn't save her. And Alfred has a comment where he's like, you couldn't have saved her, Bruce. She was gone years ago. And like, it all goes back to that point where she had to leave Gotham because of her father and what that did to her and the person that she became and how, that moment defines both of them is oh it's extremely powerful because the next thing you get is is you get to see her on a boat that she survived and you also know that she survived because batman finds the locket in the mm-hmm. bat cave that had the photo that which uh, is a nice moment carried. yeah it's a nice moment of like he it's just you know his heart's broken but like and she's given up what they had to, I yeah. don't know, it's like it's 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 heartbreaking and literally right so like 
but she's yeah. on a cruise ship and, and this guy sees her and he's like, oh, pretty lady. I'm going to go talk to the pretty lady. That's how I do it. I'm always like, <laughs> is that how well, you approach, anymore, is that how you approach your wife? You're like, hey, yeah. pretty lady. Like, hey, pretty know. lady. Uh, <laughs> like, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. Want to go to no, a Ponderosa? He has this moment where he's like, you know, oh, do you want to be alone? And she just looks at him and, and she actually doesn't even look at him, which is great. She just like looks down and she's like, I am. And like, bam, like, yeah, that's a great ending. So, yeah, sorry. no, this is um, I jumped ahead. No, you, you know, it's fine. So uh, I again, I saw this on Netflix, the quality in terms of like it wasn't the best. It, I still am in awe of like the uh, the action sequences, the animation style. I dig like the the look I still love. Um I think this is a film worth revisiting. And granted, I just watched it a couple of days ago. But um, in terms of the year of animation, um, this may not have broken new grounds in terms of like the thing, like not the Miyazaki, not the the Don Blue stuff that we've talked about. But I think it's important because it it took something that was a a daily animated series and 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 brought it to a cinematic level, and that's not an easy thing to do. And now that I've seen this, um, I, I, I kind of feel like the rest of DC is now on notice, like in terms of like what they can do, because you and I have talked about previously about some of the, 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 the other DC, uh, Warner brother animated films. Like I know you wanted to talk about, um, at one point, what was it? Um, all oh, the sixties one. What was it called? Um, New Frontier. I'm New a big Frontier. Fan of that one. We were we were kicking it around when we were going to go and talk without rhythm about the year of animation, not year of animation, his animation month. Mm-hmm. Um, and New Frontier felt overstuffed, but also thin. I don't know. I don't know how. Like I've watched some of the, and we even when watching Hush when we talked about that, it tried to condensing twelve issues, and it did it did too much, but not enough. How? there's there's magic here and it, it approaches all audiences it's pg and you know it's a movie that you can watch with your family uh and kids and get them excited for batman but there's a lot more depth to it uh, and there's a lot of sneaky jokes in there there's a bit uh, there's a bit when the joker's fighting um andrea and he's near the table in the house of the future where the robot with the knife is there chopping up stuff and there's that big block of salami or bologna or whatever and he he's reaching back for something i'm like i was like he's gonna reach for that big whack of bologna as opposed to the knife because it's funnier and he just smacks her in the face with it it's like it's slapsticky but it's like that's the joker's mo of like i'm going to hit you with this block of bologna as opposed to stabbing you because that's going to entertain me like there's so many little points through all of this that just scratched all his itches and this is a film that you don't need to know everything about Batman because you get everything you need to know about Batman in it. And I don't know how they made that happen. Yeah. I think they worked from the advantage of, of, although to be fair, I, I don't think that, uh, I don't think you need to introduce Batman to audiences if you, you make a new movie and God willing, the new movie, uh, the new Matt Reeves, uh, Robert Pattinson film will not yet again take us down the uh, origin story route again. Right. But yeah. um, you know they had sixty five episodes already in the can at this point, so they 
they were working from a point or perspective of like, well, we've, we've, we've done this show. We don't have to explain everything. Um, and not in a way that like, uh, they don't have to explain important story beats, but they, they don't have to explain who Batman is. They don't have to take you through crime alley and show you Martha being shot and the pearls falling to the ground. And, the same thing that we've seen over and over and over mm-hmm. again. Yeah. So they, they at least were able to work from, from that aspect. Um, the one thing that I want to say is, is that, uh, and it's, it's a little bit by chance and a little bit by, um, I think smart storytelling that they don't ever really do anything more with the mask of the, fa- or with the phantasm character or Andrea Beaumont with the exception of, there's the last episode. It was expected to be the last episode of Justice League Unlimited, and I, I apologize. I'm making us run long. Um, do you, but Steve, do you know the show that we do? Just like... <laughs> the episode takes place way in the future. It takes place in Batman Beyond's future, and it, it explores this character Amanda Waller, who you would know from Suicide Squad, um, and her relationship to Batman. And the episode is about Terry McGinnis, who's now Batman, trying to find answers about his back, his, his past, and how it became intertwined with Batman, because he thinks there's something more going on there. Um, and, and Amanda Waller is the one that can give him the answers, and she she tells him this story about who who Bruce Wayne actually is, and it, how, how she knew that Batman was on the side of the angels as opposed to being the devil that she had thought he was. Long story short, uh, there's an interlude in which she talks about trying to create another Batman. And to do that, she knew that she would need an assassin to take out uh, someone with parents similar to Bruce's and try to recreate that event to try and give the world another Batman. And in the scene, we find out who the assassin she picked was, and it was Andrea Beaumont. And... She refused to do it because she she says that the circumstances that created Batman, he would never murder people to to give the world himself or to create another Batman. And it's it's a I don't know, 30 second scene, but it's the only other time that she pops up in the series. And it's it's this wonderful encapsulation of everything that had happened within the Bruce Tim sort of hmm. DC animated universe. OK, and it's great because you see her like arguing in a flashback with Amanda Waller as an old woman. And she pulls off the, the mask of the phantasm mask and it's her. And it's like, Oh man, it's such a nice touch that they did. They just, they didn't do anything else with her, but it's like the person that she picked to try and create another Batman is Andrea Beaumont. So okay. it's, it's a, it's a nice little denouement, if you will. Uh, and I'm not even sure I'm using that correctly. No, denouement. Um, you're right. That's a nice little, yeah, you're right. I think that's I think that's a nice little uh, capper to that story. So that's cool. That I feel like I, I feel like that's it. Like there's times where some characters are like they they come in and make such a big deal, and then it's like and then they get overused. Where uh, that as much as I feel like uh, Norman Osborn's the Green Goblin should have stayed dead, um, but they brought him back. And he's now part of like the current Marvel continuity. It's like he could have probably stayed dead and his legacy and how much he affected Spider-Man. You, you, you could leave Norman dead. 
but they brought him back. So I think maybe leaving Beaumont where she is, that's good. And I'm surprised they haven't tried doing more with her considering the success of other, we talked, we've talked about Harley Quinn coming out of the animated series and like, yeah, I don't know because maybe because this film didn't make a ton of money, like it made just slightly under what the budget was at the theater. And you mentioned there was no advertising for it because it came out a lot faster than it was originally slated for. Mm. Maybe that's why I don't know. I I feel like the phantasm is character or something, especially being like, you know, a broken mirror version of Batman. I'm honestly surprised. I mean, but you also get the idea of like the red hood. Um, You get like, was it, is that Jason Todd? That's the red hood. Mm Yep. You, you get some of that same guilt baked into someone making the wrong decisions. So maybe they already have somebody doing that. Yeah. And you know, you mentioned, cause I, I brought up earlier that I saw it in the theater in an empty theater, you know, when it originally came out, With I Mark Hamill. Say that, you didn't know uh, Mark Hamill was there, but <laughs> he was not there, unfortunately, oh, okay. but, uh, I feel like it was, Two years ago in November, uh, you know, Fathom Events Warners did a, uh, you know, one night only, you know, release of Batman Mask of the Phantasm in the theater. And uh, Ryan and I went and uh, he took his young daughter and uh, it was a packed theater. A nice. So it was it was a nice little vindication. But boy, oh, boy. I know that you're talking about the, the, the quality of the Netflix version um, and there are HD versions of it. Um, and if you are somebody who likes physical media, they did a, a gorgeous box set of Batman, the animated series a few years ago um, where they remastered all the episodes and included Batman, the mask and phantasm and uh, another movie that was uh, Batman sub zero that came out in 97, I think. Um, included in that set and HD versions of those. This movie is meant to seen be seen in all its gorgeous detail. So yeah, watch it on Netflix if you'd like, but also if you have access to that box set or um, you can buy the movie by itself in that HD quality, I would highly recommend it. It's a, it's a gorgeous movie that deserves to be seen in all its detail. Yeah. Like I, I, I feel remiss that my first time watching it was in a uh, lesser form, but that's how I got to it. It doesn't lessen the impact of the film for me. I dug it a great deal. I recommend it to everybody. <laughs> so yeah. I happen to know that you, you happen to know a guy who has a bunch of stuff uh, in voodoo that he gave his password to you for. Um, you can watch the HD version of it. There I, I had a distinct <laughs> notion that was there, but I, but my first notion was, oh, is it, where is it at? I'm like, oh, Netflix has it? Because I first went to um, HBO Max thinking yeah that, that's where it should be <laughs> i was like like why isn't that there and it wasn't so i was already lazy on my playstation 4 uh between getting attacked by mushroom monsters and i'm like i'll check oh i was like why does that sure and i watched it there so that that's my fault for being lazy um you know and going there so but yes uh yeah, uh, highly recommended. Enjoyed the hell out of this film. Um, it, had I not already seen the Iron Giant this year, this would probably be my favorite animated film so far. Um, this is really good, and people should need to check it out. It's good storytelling. It's efficient storytelling, um, and the animation's fun. The fight sequences are great, and the voice acting is great, too. So if you've seen it, watch it again. If you've not seen it, um, check it out. It, even though we've spoiled some of the big plot points, it doesn't ruin the fun of the film. There's a lot of goodness here, and I dug it a great deal. 
Yeah, it's going to be unfair when we get to the end of the year of animation and we talk about all the films that we watched. It's there's no way this isn't coming out on top for me, but that's not because of lesser quality films. Like if we take Batman, the animated or Batman Mask of the Phantasm out of the equation, I am probably going to go with either Secret of Nim or. And this is just based on where we are right now within the year. But like Secret of Nim or Iron Giant are probably going to be my number one. Mm-hmm. But like <laughs> if we if we include this, it will be my number one. There's just no way nothing's going to beat it for me because of how much I love this film. But at the same time, like if, if we were trying to do a, a like, you know, it, it's very hard for me to take away my I don't want to say preconceived notions, but I've lived with this movie for, you know, 25 years plus. I, I've loved this movie forever. It, it's, it's always going to be a go-to for me when I'm like, have you seen this? You haven't? <laughs> Sit down and watch it. So yeah. that said, um, you know, I, I, I hope that there are people like you who are going to discover it. And I hope that they are able to embrace it in the way that you have. I was I was so afraid, knowing that knowing that it's such a touted film that it would. Um, well, to be fair, nothing's ever, 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 ever going to beat Spider Man into the the, the you know Spider Verse. Uh, so nothing that everything's going to be scraps after. I'm just kidding. I like, but no, I I. I, I like the animated series. There was a, there was just no reason why I had not seen this yet. And I know we've been circling it. So I've been holding off because I knew the conversation would be great. I never had a doubt that I wasn't going to enjoy this film. It was just, there are surprises and layers to this that I was not expecting, which made my enjoyment that much more. So it was never going to be a question of enjoying the film. It was just a matter of how much. And I was surprised by how much I did. Yeah, and I'll say too, if you're somebody who's watched Baby Batman the Animated Series and you haven't explored the other stuff, I highly recommend uh, the Superman Animated Series, the Batman Beyond series, and then Justice League and Justice League uh, Unlimited. Those are all within the same universe, and they're a ridiculous amount of fun. And um, I I would say check those out. Uh, We're coming up on... Uh, Comic-Con, even though it's going to be Comic-Con at Stay at Home this weekend, uh, every year they've made some sort of announcement about a new physical release for the series, and I have a feeling that since they've done Batman and Batman Beyond, we're probably going to get a Superman announcement uh, coming soon. So, um, yeah, I, I I can't recommend this movie highly enough. I, I, would, I, I would tell people to go watch actually all of them, but I realize it's a lot of work to say, here's four series and over multiple seasons worth of things to watch, but they're all enjoyable and I hope people check them out. Yeah. Uh, me too. Like I need to watch more of this era, uh, DC stuff. Cause I know we watched a few for our talk about Harley Quinn. And I know we watched a couple, um, in regards to the flash, I think we talked about as well. Um, there's good stuff here and this film is great and people need to watch mask of the phantasm. So, 
that's going to do it for our discussion about this. Um, you guys can find us on our Facebook. It's Invasion of the Podcast. Let us know your favorite uh, Batman animated series um, episodes. Better yet, just describe them and then have Steve try to figure out the title. I think that'd be way better. Um, I think that'd be a lot more fun. And Steve completely blow it because he thinks of a different episode. Yeah, and then also tell tell me what your favorite Angela Lansbury positive moves are because I'm sure there's multiple ones in there. So uh, you guys can find our blog, uh, which is... Um, uh, gathering dust that's my fault uh, it's evasion of the podcast.com there there's multiple things on there about canon films westerns knockoffs uh steve having cool toys there's plenty there if you want to read poorly worded written things there's a lot to get into so please check that out uh you can find us wherever you locate your podcast whether that be um Apple Podcasts, Google Music. I think I think Google Music's being integrated into YouTube Music. I don't know. Everything gets squeezed together eventually. Wherever you find your podcasts, please rate and review us. That'd be great. I mean, you got us to ten thousand downloads so far, so let's look forward to ten thousand one. You know, uh, that'd be appreciated. And Steve, how can people find you? You can find me at the Saturday Night Slasher dot com. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook under the Saturday Night Slasher. And uh, I just want to say that uh, this uh, uh, every week on Instagram, we've been doing a drawing challenge and uh, this coming week that we're going to be doing a DC challenge. Maybe I'll draw the phantasm. I don't think I've ever actually drawn the phantasm. So uh, maybe this will be a perfect, uh, a perfect point of synergy, if you will. And uh, maybe awesome. I'll throw that up on there. Yeah. Or, or like eighties uh, era firestorm. I think that'd be fun too. I think it's firestorm, right? Um, that's, that's true. Is this a, 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 a uh, I don't want to say a, a special spot for you. Are you a, a eighties firestorm fan? I just like the look. I don't know. I just, it just, I, I, my, my gateway to DC was always really confusing. And like, I feel like they really clung to continuity for the longest time. So you had no idea what you're getting into picking up individual Wait, issues. Are, are you telling me that a, a company that uh, relaunches its continuity probably every three years is strung too uh, tightly to its continuity. Balderdash, I say. No, I'm saying that DC <laughs> then didn't. I'm saying that DC does now. Like, I'll say that. They, they're like, continuity, throw that in the trash can. We're starting over. You like the Batman who laughs? Yeah, we're going to do seven of those now. You know, whatever. Anyway, <laughs> uh, I don't know. I just thought 80s Firestorm looked cool. I just, I don't know. I had, I had no reason to believe otherwise. I thought that I thought he was a cool looking character. Much like my love of other 80s Marvel, not 80s, like 90s Marvel characters. I'm like, that's cool looking dude. I'm going to buy that book, which I'm going to guess that the powers that be are like, make cool looking dudes. Kids will buy that book. So there you go. Uh, no, your artist challenges have been great. Uh, it's been fun watching you and Ryan and, um, oh shit. Uh, the gentleman, uh, that did, uh, bleed leaders. Justin, yeah. yeah Justin, uh, contributed for yes. one as did Jeff Ritchie. Jeff did a, uh, he basically schooled us all. He was like, here's a planet of the apes piece. And then he just like threw the microphone down and we were no, like, oh wow, I, that's amazing. Jeff, that magnificent son of a bitch. He's always so <laughs> humble. But he pulls out these amazing pieces that you're like, 
you, why do you talk to me? Like, I just feel like, <laughs> I just feel like I'm the groupie. I don't understand it. Like he does amazing work. You and Ryan do amazing work. It just, sometimes Jeff's like, yeah, I was on my lunch break. Here's the, here's the Sistine Chapel. Like what the hell, where did this come from? You know, like I was, I was just noodling. Like, you know, like, <laughs> oh, the Smashing Pumpkins liked my piece. Oh, okay. Like, I just, you know, amazing. Yeah, it works I, Jeff's great. amazing. Yeah. Uh, so hopefully he gets to uh, contribute a little bit more. Uh, you know, I, I've, I've left the invitation open to him. Like, hey, man, anytime you want to, like, you know, play, please do. But boy, oh, boy, did he school us uh, <laughs> that Planet of the Apes piece. It was amazing. Damn you, dirty apes. You know, anyway, so. Yeah, uh, that's going to do it for us this week. We're taking next week off because I'm a wuss in terms of my uh, prepping for multiple podcasts, and Steve's okay with this because he knows I'm a wuss. Uh, so we're taking a week off because I am going to be making an appearance on a friend of the show, El Goro, who came on to talk about the Iron Giant. His show, Talk Without Rhythm, I'm going to be on there uh, next week with him talking about two films from uh, Peter Jackson. Uh, one is, uh, meet the feebles, um, which is, um, imagine Sesame street, but like on crack, uh, it's from 89. It is a weird live action puppet film in which puppets do terrible things. And then we're also going to be watching, um, the frighteners from 96, which is also Peter Jackson. I adore the frighteners so much. I cannot wait to talk about both these films and talk about Peter Jackson and have a wonderful conversation with Al Goro. Um, as much as I feel like um, our show is sometimes a sprint, uh, preparing for it, his is a marathon in a good way where you need to bring your A game because he always brings his A game. I do not want to bring my lowercase A game. I want to be ready for it. That's why we're taking this week off. I'm prepping. I'm going to be eating raw egg yolks. I'm going to be running around in a circle. I'm, I'm going to bring it. Yeah, El Goro is amazing and... Uh... I I'm I'm glad that I get to listen to the two of you talk about those movies. I haven't seen the Frighteners probably in 20 years. It's a good reason for me to revisit it. I'm looking forward to listening to it. Yeah. And then meet the feebles. <laughs> oh, I, I, yeah, so I've never actually seen meet the feebles. So it's yeah. probably a good reason for me to check it out. Yeah. So we'll talk about that when we get there. So the week after, which would be the first week of August, uh, Steve and I, we joked about this. We've talked about this for a while. Um, this, the, the next topic we're going to be getting into is kind of born of our conversation. We had a little while ago about the Velocipaster and about like, things that show up on Amazon prime. There is a film series that we've joked about in terms of like, this is a thing that keeps happening and maybe this is an amazing thing, but there's a film called bad Ben that's that has made multiple sequels. Um, that is a, like a found footage, like paranormal activity thing that's available on Amazon prime. We're going to watch that and see what's going on. Um, I don't know. Like, We'll, we'll try our best not to make it a pinata, but it might be that. But there's there's Bad Ben, there's Badder Ben, there's Before Ben. I don't know how many film series there are, but we're going to watch Bad Ben on Amazon Prime in two I weeks. know that there's a third one. It has to be called Baddest uh, Ben. You know, Baddest yeah. Ben, I would think, right? Let, let's see. Let's see here. Let, let, I, I think there's six films, honestly. I think here. Um, six? Yeah. I thought there were three. Uh, Bad Ben, Steelmanville Road, which is the prequel. Batter Ben, Bad Ben, the Mandela effect? What? No. 
The Crescent Moon Clown, what Bad Ben the Way In and Bad Ben the Haunted Highway. No. No, I don't that, all of this sounds wrong. So we're going to watch Bad Ben and see if it has legs to make five other films, you know. I would call this the Charles Band Full Moon Effect, but we'll see we'll, <laughs> we'll see where we're at with that. So, yeah, that, to enjoy the week off everybody. I'll post the Talk Without Rhythm episode on our Facebook page once I'm there and uh check out uh Meet the Feebles. It's a hard one to kind of get a hold of cuz there's not been an official Blu-ray release, and I think there's a lot of bootlegs out there, but I'm sure you guys can find it if you want to look for it. The Frighteners is available to watch on like various streaming services, and I highly recommend it. I highly recommend The Mask of the Phantasm. This has been a great talk. This has been a fun movie, and as much as I joke about us talking about Batman all the time, um, this was a great um, thing to get into that I have not seen. So thank you, Steve, for mentioning this over the course of the year, and then I was like, yeah, we'll watch Mask of the Phantasm. Oh, I'm glad you enjoyed it. And uh, the last thing that I'll say real quick is uh, this weekend would have been the big Comic-Con weekend in San Diego. Um, and I don't know when it went from being San Diego Comic-Con to just being called Comic-Con. But uh, um, for those of you who listen and are interested in that stuff, they're doing it all online this year. Um, so my weekend, it's actually kind of good that we're taking the weekend off because I'm probably going to be watching a lot of different panels uh, from the uh, comfort of my my home. Um, I know there's a Bill and Ted 3 panel. I know that there's a bunch of different uh, comic book uh, associated uh, panels, which it should be. Um, but uh, I'm looking forward to digging in. If you guys spot something cool, let us know. Let us, let us know what you... Uh, we're interested in if, if, if anything that came out of this year's Comic-Con that will be happening over the next four days. But when are you and Ryan going to do a live panel, a live discussion for a science slasher? I need, I need to tune in for you guys talking about your works. <laughs> this year's free and somehow we still didn't get invited. So. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Everybody check out Comic-Con and check out Mass the Phantasm. Enjoy the week off. Uh, coming back to Bad Ben. Uh, but in the meantime, I mean, Batman, Batman, and more Batman. Batman to the rescue, 